0: Hey, now we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times Da-da. with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are just 18 days out from WrestleMania 39, so you know the Silver King and vintage Chris Vanini are here to break down everything that happened this past week in the world of WWE. We're going to be talking SmackDown Raw, the build to WrestleMania, and some news surrounding WWE all in today's show. But not only that, we will welcome WWE Hall of Famer and seven-time women's champion Trish Stratus to the show for the first time. Keep your ears open for that a bit later in this show. As we kick things off, I would be remiss if I did not remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about Defy. And folks, it's WrestleMania season, so do me a favor. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Because on this here podcast, we love the number five. I
1: happen to love the number five and what we
0: mean by that is we want you to head on over to apple podcast and spotify drop us those five star ratings on apple take a little extra time and leave a five star written review if you do we will read it live right here on the show just like i am going to do now from marie sp who left a review best wrestling podcast five stars the silver king and vintage chris break down what went down in the world of pro wrestling and in an engaging and easy to understand way. And there's a couple emojis at the end there. Marie, I appreciate your review. And something else I wanted to point out to everyone. If you're a listener and you live outside the United States and you do leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts and you haven't yet heard it read here on the show, the reason why is those reviews do not populate in the United States feed. So if you leave a review and you're anywhere else other than United States, please send me a tweet or a DM, or you can email us at gettingoverpod at gmail.com. Let us know you left a review and then I can search the specific iTunes uh, website for your country, find the review, and I can read it here on the show. We've gotten a few in the last few weeks, but I don't know where to look for them, and that is always a consistent problem. But wherever you live, we appreciate you leaving those five-star reviews. And on that note, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, and so much more as we continue down this road to WrestleMania. Chris, welcome to today's show. It is absolutely loaded. We have a number of news items to talk about off the top here. Before we get into the main event, then our interview with Trish Stratus, the good, the bad, and the ugly, booking the damn territory for WrestleMania 39. We're going to go over that card. And of course, the last word to wrap up this show, there will be timestamps in the episode description. So if anyone needs to jump around, you want to just listen to the Trish interview or you want to come back to that later, whatever the case might be, all of those timestamps are available for you in the episode description. But Chris, welcome to the show. And to kick things off about WWE this week, You know, I guess got to say SmackDown on Friday, it just bored me out of my mind. Like three weeks out from WrestleMania, I felt like nothing was accomplished on that show. It was uneventful. And despite it being a down episode, they didn't even take the opportunity to at least build one of the feuds right now in Charlotte Flair against Rhea Ripley that needs more focus. So they could have spent more time on it and done something unique or interesting and they just didn't, that feud is going nowhere. There was no Roman Reigns, there was no Kevin Owens, no matches set or contenders determined. It felt like a total waste of two hours on Friday. Now, on Monday, I felt the opposite about Raw. Don't get me wrong, it was still a filler episode for the most part, but there were at least some developments for WrestleMania, and most of the show felt valuable to watch, even if it was not spectacular. It kept my attention to entertain me and the Providence crowd was great. I'm wondering if you felt the same way watching those five hours of television this week.
2: We're at the point where some of the stuff is really good and some of it is really bad. I feel like like in terms of the stuff that's set or going to happen at Mania, the builds, I think, are either really good, like the Cody and Bloodline stuff or a couple other things, or they're really bad like the women's championship feuds, which we'll get into uh, later. So it's it's a a lot of peaks and valleys, I think. And also, as you kind of get into Raw and even SmackDown, there's a good amount of stuff happening on these shows that are probably not going to happen at WrestleMania. And when you know that, like subconsciously, I think you check out a little bit even more. You know, when, when there's a Bronson Reed Elias match or something like that. So it, it's kind of right. this weird. Why, spot did, why like, do I need
0: to care about that in WrestleMania
2: exa- season. Right. But so like,
0: WWE does need to fill the three hours of programming at the yes, same time. Yes. Yeah. So
2: we're at this point where like most of it's set. We're excited to get to Mania. But a number of things need a much better build and they're not getting it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, let's be clear. Also, this is a night and day from a WrestleMania build, even from a year ago, where everything felt just like an eye roll, where nothing really mattered. But you said, hey, you know what? WrestleMania, it's still going to be a really exciting show. And we had the inkling of Cody Rhodes returning and the Steve Austin stuff. But it was just like, you know, I don't really care about a lot of the things. That's not my case here. I do care about a lot of the matches on this card. It's just there's some really key matches, the women's division, as you pointed out, and we will talk about that a lot later in the show that are leaving a ton to be desired. And that's dragging down TV a little bit. And what's really the most unfortunate thing, this is really the point I was trying to make, is when you have a off week, uh, when you're not going full bore and just absolutely loading the show, such as what they did for Raw last week in Boston, where you knew it was going to be a bomb show because they were just putting everything they possibly could on it, including the return of John Cena. In these other weeks, you need to put the focus on the other WrestleMania matches that perhaps are not getting enough time or enough storyline build. For example, WWE did a good job, I thought, this week, and we'll talk about it more later, obviously, but focusing on Edge and Finn Balor. That had really Mm -hmm. waned, and the energy and the interest to some degree kind of fell off, but they reignited it on this show. That's not one of the main events, but it's still an important match they wanted to build for the card. You could even say they did the same, perhaps, for Brock Lesnar and Omos, depending what your thoughts are about that. But in a week like this, where they could have spent multiple segments on Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair and Asuka. There could have been taped video packages and and interviews and just really interesting ways to get people engaged into a couple stories that are pretty cold. They just didn't. I mean, they did a segment for each of them on on the respective shows, but nothing about it felt intense or interesting. And we're going to get to more of that later. But that was where my disappointment kind of stood this week. But SmackDown in totality on Friday, I just—if you didn't watch that show, you did not miss a single thing. At least with Raw on I, Monday, no, I disagree.
2: I disagree. I disagree. Okay. With the the Intercontinental Championship uh, Fatal Five Way match, which we'll nothing to. happened. That that, that that something happened. That was the mm-hmm. that was the about the only notable thing that happened on the show. And it let me ask the show.
0: this because we're, we're going to talk about it in detail later. What were we told was going to come out of that match? A
2: number one contender. Well, no, a fi- a, 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 well technically a participant or finalist, a,
0: a, a qualifier, a qualifier. qualifier. We what came out of that match? Nothing.
2: It, it's still a step forward. It was, it was something, I, it was not a big about something, but it was something. Yes. But, but that, but
0: that goes to my point though, is even something yes. like that where you tune in expecting to get a resolution or something that makes sense. And you know what? Maybe part of why, maybe part of why I disliked SmackDown so much is what I, I disliked what they did with that particular storyline. So we'll talk about it more we are going long on the intro here, but Friday night really frustrated me Monday night. Not as much. I, I did enjoy what we got from our, that's really, and nice they are,
2: lo- and they are loading up next Monday. Raw. They,
0: they are said Roman. Gonna be there, Absolutely. So it
2: feels like they're going back every other week here. We're kind of trying to do a big episode. Well, I tools. think
0: it's every, it was every other week for the last couple, but starting and you know, this Friday, we'll see what's going to come, but starting next Monday, for sure, they're going full bore all the way. Cause those are the yep. final two weeks. So, Uh, A couple other news items quick that we want to hit before we get into the main event. Uh, There was a story from CNBC that came out last week after we taped the show about WWE engaging with some state gambling boards about trying to allow actual legalized state betting on WWE as opposed to overseas betting. And Chris, like we could get into details on this. To me, it's much ado about nothing. It's going to be way too difficult to execute a ton of hurdles. Is it possible? Sure. Is it sustainable? I don't think so at all. There's a lot of variables with injuries and storyline changes. There's only so far out you can actually make odds or you can actually decide what match finishes are going to be. I saw certain folks, a contingent of the IWC, making a huge deal out of this last week and how it's going to change WWE creative. And I could only shrug. Like I think it's highly unlikely to happen in any significant manner. And really, I'm not sure what else needs to be said about it.
2: Yeah, I think the state of it was state of Colorado and Michigan. I think Colorado came out and said that it's it was not Michigan. happening, and in Michigan said a third party reached out like a year ago about the possibility, but they hadn't heard anything since. So it, it seems, it yeah. at, at the very least, extremely premature uh, if it even goes anywhere. Like I understand the idea. WWE is partnering with DraftKings, trying to do some things. Sports betting is getting big, but yeah, there there's so much I would have to go into it that I, it seems extremely unlikely. And even the 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 state uh, the state books or whatever sounded very uh, uh, pessimistic about it happening anyway. So I agree, it blew up, I get why, but I, it seems extremely unlikely to happen.
0: Yeah, and I think people took like a news item that was like a speculative thing from CNBC and, and just blew it up into, oh my God, everything in WWE is going to change based on this. And it's just like, no, it's not, it's wrestling. Like, yeah. there's a reason it's operated the way it has operated for so many years. It's because even if you want a long-term book, You can't always, you know, abide by your long-term booking. For example, they probably had tons of plans for Cody Rhodes on the road to WrestleMania. But guess what? He missed six months because he tore his pectoral and therefore things had to change. You know, maybe not the main event of WrestleMania, um, but what if The Rock was available? Then they wouldn't have even have been able to accept bets on that because they didn't know if The Rock would be in the match or not. So to me, it's just much ado about nothing. I did want to mention it, though, because it was big in the news last week, also in the news. WWE is going to return to Puerto Rico for a major show for the first time since 2005. They're going to be hosting WWE Backlash in early May. Notice I did not say WrestleMania Backlash. It's going back to WWE Backlash. Not only that, Bad Bunny is going to be hosting the show, which means they're going to sell out a stadium in Puerto Rico, and those crowds are notoriously great for wrestling, and I know for a fact that Puerto Ricans have been salivating for A show like this. So it's really good news for them. But Chris, what I found to be even more interesting than the show happening in Puerto Rico, which there's not much analysis to give there other than congratulations, Puerto Rico, is WWE is not going to have a single premium live event in the continental United States between WrestleMania and SummerSlam. And if you remember, there was a period of time, I think it was between SummerSlam and Survivor Series where WWE did not have an event in the United States either. I think it was last year. Yeah, that that tracks based on what I was trying to say. Also, they were all stadium shows and they were spaced out and one month didn't have one. Whole thing. So coming up for WWE after WrestleMania, Backlash in Puerto Rico, King and Queen of the Ring in Money in the Sand in Saudi Arabia, Money in the Bank at the O2 Arena in London. So, again, no PLEs in the continental US for four months, which is one third of the calendar year. And what I find most interesting about this is the timing because WWE is not going up against its biggest competition during this period of time, which is the NFL. I feel like it would make more sense to do spring and summer shows in the United States, taking advantage of the mania bump. And then you schedule overseas shows for the fall. When competing against football, or at least space out the international shows a little bit more. So you do two back-to-back, but maybe not three. To me, this is an antithetical way that I would do it. I presume WWE has the analytics and data to back it up doing this way, but I just don't understand why they're choosing this third of the year to do all their stuff overseas when there's another third of the year being the fall that makes a lot more sense to do it.
2: Yeah, uh, I I don't know. Like we said, they did. They kind of did this last year. I'm sure they have the numbers on what worked and what didn't and why. Uh, First off, Puerto Rico. Love it. I mean, you you hear so many great stories about Puerto Rican wrestling history from from the old timers and all the documentaries and stuff like that. So that's going to be really cool. Um, Clash at the Castle was great. These four, these big foreign shows, when they're basically keeping them in the canon and it's not like a super show that doesn't really count or something like that. it it just amps it all up and it makes it more I- exciting uh going going to london and doing a show you know we don't like saudi arabia but it is what it is i was going to say this before you made your point anyway but but it makes if if there's a pay-per-view in america you're going to want to get there because it's happening less and less. Or even if Monday Night Raw comes to your town, you're going to want to go because maybe they don't come to your town as much or something moving forward. So it creates an interesting dynamic where it kind of creates a bit more scarcity in terms of pay-per-views in the United States to make them feel like a bigger deal. So um, these are the big shows. We, we've we have we, we've gone through years where W had 18 pay-per-views you know, at some point, and a lot of them didn't feel like big shows. This strategy is making every pay-per-view feel like a big show and I like that as for the timing I don't know
0: yeah it does make them feel bigger when there's fewer of them especially in the U.S. but I would just space them out a little bit like I don't know why you need to do three straight overseas even though Puerto Rico is not really overseas I mean it's I think it's an hour ahead if memory serves like it's it's pretty much the same but you know why you're why you're doing them in a, in a chunk like that as opposed to just doing one per quarter that just to me makes a lot of sense.
2: I, I don't know. If stadium availability is that is obviously a big thing. These things, a lot yeah. of these things, these things are booked out years and years ahead of time. I don't know. Um, I if there's any reporting in the dirt sheets or anything about that, I'd really love to to know why because it is an interesting question, and yeah. we just we don't know the answer.
0: There isn't, but I mean, I can you know see if anyone from WWE will talk to us about it. I've tried. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you this: with the changes that WWE's made internally, this is a little bit of inside baseball. Um, communications department over there. Uh, It's been a lot tougher to get stuff out of, both answers to questions, interviews and stuff, which is why I was so thrilled to be able to welcome Trish Stratus on today's show. Um, It's been a little bit more difficult, which is why I think you guys can remember we were doing an interview a month, uh, a little bit more than that sometimes, especially during WrestleMania season, and things have kind of slowed to that degree. So um, a little bit uh, more difficult, I should say, to communicate with, which kind of the opposite of the purpose of a communications department, uh, but I'm sure with all the changes and shifts that are going on over there, they're doing the best they can. I'll try to get an answer to this. Maybe because it's business related, they will share some insight with us. That would be great. And we have one more news item before we get into the rest of the show. Uh, Bray Wyatt has missed some scheduled house show dates and possibly even a TV taping or two due to a reported quote unquote health issue, which I don't want to speculate about, but the reporting is that it's not physical. So if that makes sense, this was a hot topic Monday online. Matt Hardy even tweeted photos of them together with the Raw tag team titles from back in the day with a heart. There was nothing on SmackDown or Raw with him uh, or Bobby Lashley, for that matter. Lashley even tweeted, quote, I've worked too hard to be denied. I will be ready to fight on the biggest stage of them all, WrestleMania. I don't care who it is. Somebody will feel the wrath of the almighty. And, you know, number one, best wishes for Bray. That's the most important thing. Chris, I swear, this monkey's paw shit that we've been discussing on this podcast the last couple of weeks, it is, like, coming for us. Like, we did not want Lashley Wyatt, and now we may not get it, but only because something may be wrong with Bray, which obviously no one wants. So it's really unfortunate stuff. More than anything, like I said, I I hope he's okay. Um, But certainly throwing some WrestleMania plans uh, into the air a little bit.
2: Yeah, I I first saw this because people on Twitter were saying things like Bray Wyatt was walking out of the company or something like that. So once more details, I guess, came to light, um, it appears it's something a bit different. So obviously we, we hope the best for Bray. And, and also um, obviously there's been no mention on Raw or SmackDown, but yesterday morning, WWE's YouTube channel did post a video of uh artist, Rob uh, Schamburger, drawing a Bray Wyatt mm-hmm. uh, portrait thing, you know, that that he did. So it's, he, he was acknowledged within the universe essentially, but yeah, just, I don't know what it is, but hope everything's okay. And, and, and gets better.
0: And that certainly could have been a scheduled post that they decided not to remove after the fact, but yeah, all the reports of, you know, creative differences and walking out. I mean, that has been squashed. And, you know, again, like this is something we've talked about on the podcast occasionally, Chris, but media literacy is so important. Like knowing who to trust and, and knowing what certain phrases mean and things like that. And, and, Folks, when it comes to wrestling news, rumors and reports and all that type of stuff, there's certain people you can trust and there's others that you can't. And, you know, trust those people. And so, sometimes they're going to be wrong, too, because wrestling is just way different. And the standards for wrestling journalism are way, way, way lower than they are for sports, you know, politics and, and other things. Um, but there are people you can trust. Trust those people. And the ones you can't don't and don't take things that they report and just try to blow them up online, because guess what? Maybe someone is dealing with a, with an issue that's bad or super important or something that they don't want to disclose. And what's not fair to them personally or professionally is to put out bullshit about them. And that's what I understand
2: what happened here. Yes, I, I understand people want to react to things, especially if something they read confirms that's what their prior thoughts, but exactly. like always try to take a step back and make sure this thing you're hearing or seeing is accurate. And it never hurts to not say anything.
0: And lastly, actually, I said that was the last news item, but something else just happened here uh, about 15 minutes before we started recording, uh, both Nikki and Bree Bella have changed their social media handles and information. There are no longer any mentions of the Bellas. I don't think there's any mentions of WWE either. They are now referring to themselves as the Garcia twins. Uh, and Bree's name is Brie Garcia Danielson, of course, as it should be. So that's going to be interesting. I think, um, E or wherever was airing the new Nikki show that I did not watch renewed that or gave her another TV deal. So they're going to try to make it without the Bella name. They have been at odds with WWE recently. I think there was that raw uh, special show uh, a couple months ago that they were supposed to be on, but there were creative differences. So they weren't. So it's very possible that they're off their legends contracts with WWE and doing their own thing here. And, um, you know, I guess best of luck to them, but
2: yeah, they 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 got a new show on Amazon called Twin Love. I thought they had something else coming on uh, USA or something as well, but they're just, I don't, they have made one heck of a career or careers for themselves in that reality TV type world and more power to them. They seem to be enjoying it.
0: Now we have an absolute ton of show left. We will kick things off as we always do. We have the Trish Stratus interview to come. The good, the bad, and the ugly booking the damn territory for WrestleMania 39. And the last word, so much show left. But we begin, as we always do, by sliding into the main event. This is the main event! Now, there was an exceptional and somewhat emotional video package to open SmackDown featuring the Usos It recapped the events of Raw from last Monday. Paul Heyman was then seen holding up the one, waiting for the Usos to arrive in the loading dock. Jey Uso aggressively asked where to find the tribal chief. So Heyman hugged him, saying they're both proud of him. And Roman Reigns, I should note, was not at SmackDown. He wasn't at TV this week at all. Uh, Kayla Braxton wanted an explanation with Jay saying he would handle his business in the ring. And it was really clear that Jay was having none of Paul's bullshit. So it seemed like perhaps he would have an ulterior motive. Later, Heyman said the Bloodline and its members are a goat faction. He admitted that Cody Rhodes stylistically is a concern. But Reigns told him the most gangster thing they can do is confront him with the truth and wait for him to acknowledge the tribal chief after losing his match the usos then entered for the main event jay said he had to take out sammy Zayn, even though he didn't want to because jimmy is his blood jay then went off saying fans don't understand his plight and he had only one person to blame and after a long pause he said that sammy because he's selfish the idea of the pause was that he might say roman uh, jimmy turned the focus to cody who wanted to fight Cody started undressing, addressing Sammy attacked out of the crowd, and then they all brawled with Cody and Sammy standing tall in the end. So, you know, like I kind of said about Smackdown at the onset of the show, this was one of the weaker bloodline segments that we've gotten in 2023. No Reigns, no Kevin Owens, randomly no solo Sokoa. Jay's acting was on point as usual, but he basically gave zero explanation for his actions other than family, which we already knew. So nothing advanced or developed. It wasn't bad work at all. We did see Sammy and Cody working together a little bit, but it also didn't exactly accomplish anything either.
2: I really liked Jay's promo here, and be, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it felt like there were layers. Like, yes, he was saying family, 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 but he was also kind of saying, like, I have to do this because it's family. Like, almost like he almost like he was talking himself into uh mm-hmm explaining why he did what he did. And maybe he didn't fully believe it, but he has to. Uh, family's always by your side. When something happens, when, when you need this, when you need that, family's always going to be there for you. And now I'm in that position where family needs me, so I got to do that. And Sammy was faking it and all this kind of stuff. So I, I really like the promo from Jay. The rest of it, sure, not 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 much there. But, you know, we were waiting for the follow-up to what happened last week on Raw. And uh, I just thought, I thought Jay did a really good job.
0: But again, like normally we're sitting here and talking about this for 20 minutes and I have nothing right. else to say about that from SmackDown.
2: No, there, there's, I mean, look, Cody versus Roman is set. We're, we, we know we're going to get Sammy KO and the Usos. We're just kind of taking a couple slow steps to get there as we stretch this out for a few weeks.
0: And I do appreciate that they are still building that storyline. They didn't just snap to it where, yep. you know, oh, let's team up and let's go after the tag team titles. Like they're, you know, that's going to develop Over the next, you know, there's 18 days left. So you would assume over the next four shows, I have to assume it's set before the go-home SmackDown. Um, And that's good because they're keeping us entertained and intrigued and and watching the product. But you should have a little bit more development on an episode like a SmackDown, your big show, your A show on Friday night than what we got here. So that was my disappointment there. So over on Raw, we had Cody Rhodes against LA Knight. This was built over social media. Knight leapt to the top rope to catch Rhodes with a superplex. Cody hit a disaster kick. He avoided BFT, and he nailed a Cody cutter off the top rope. Then he won with Crossroads in 10 minutes. Now, this was a really nice way to get Rhodes on the show without a specific bloodline confrontation, continuation. And given Reigns was off this week, it made sense to kind of put someone like L.A. Knight in the role against a prominent figure in Cody that ups LA Knight's profile, even in defeat. Now we're going to talk more about Knight later in the show, but this match itself hit for me.
2: Yes, it was solid match, made sense to happen, continues to show that they trust LA Knight in these certain spots. Cody, I don't know if you noticed, to me he's looking even leaner than yeah. ever, than even a couple of weeks ago, like I, just in the gym a bit more, the muscles are a bit more refined, uh, that type of thing. You know, this is a body promotion, and uh, just it stood out to me. Uh, only thing, uh, only thing that uh, was missing was no L.A. Night promo, not even nothing on the way to the ring. That also. Yeah, I, like that—that's his whole thing. Is that he's mm-hmm. a great talker. Like, and this is an issue I kind of have with the whole. Weekend and wrestling in general is like we need a lot more promos on the way to the ring before a match. That's how you get a crowd invested in, in, in a lot of situations in the moment. Um, and just I'm very surprised they didn't give him the mic for that.
0: That's the perfect point. And I actually, for some reason, didn't put that note myself, even though I have had the exact same thought while watching Raw. Why not put a mic in his hand, let him say 10 words, do his yes, you know, get the crowd going? He steps in the ring, Cody punches him in the face big pop match begins. Like that's all you really need to do. He doesn't have to go and and cut like a five minute soliloquy on Cody Rhodes. Give him 15 seconds, 20 seconds with the mic on while he walks to the ring, cut my music. You do the whole thing. Like it would have amped up the match a lot more. You're right. Instead of that, we just got nothing from him. And unless you followed it on social media, you had no idea why the match was happening. And that was a first.
2: I missed it. I missed that on social media, even though I'm on Twitter all day, I missed it somehow. So
0: there you go. Perfect point of why they should have done it. Now, after the bell, Cody grabbed the mic himself, saying he would get in whatever bloodline business he wants, no matter what Heyman says, including helping Sammy and KO if he chooses. Cody talked about how everything he does in the ring is personal, even though Heyman and Reigns told him not to make it personal. He also said he wears a suit, not because he is somebody, but because he wants to be somebody. Then he reiterated that he acknowledges Reigns, but demanded, you need to acknowledge me. He promised the sun would set on Roman's run and guaranteed he would become the first Rhodes to be the undisputed WWE Universal Champion on April 2nd. Well, first of all, no shit because that title with that name has only existed for you know about a year at name. this point. Yes. Um, but he should have just said undisputed WWE champion. I I digress. Uh, this was an exceptional babyface promo by Cody from the content contrasting him with Roman to just the passion that he showed in the promo itself. He even referenced lyrics from his theme, which I thought was pretty cool. He absolutely knocked it out of the park. This was another indication that Cody is indeed the guy to dethrone Roman. If not him, if not now, who and when? He's got to follow through with it, and he's got to follow up this promo with high-quality promos over the next five shows. That's going to be tough, but if there's one thing that we know, Cody can talk.
2: I can't believe the number of people that I'm still seeing thinking Roman can or should win this match. Like without a doubt, Cody is the guy he has been, he has positioned himself as the guy, the company has put him in that spot and he's delivering every single week. He is maybe the most over second, most over person on the roster. It's all working. I think people on the internet just kind of talk themselves into stuff and don't realize like what happens. Ultimately the point of the story, like, the end of the story has to happen. You can't continue this Roman reign forever. And like you said, if it's not him, then who? And if it's not, if this is not the moment for Cody, you're never going to have a bigger moment. I was critical of Drew McIntyre not winning at Clash of the Castle because you're never going to have a bigger moment for Drew McIntyre. You are never going to have a bigger moment for Cody than WrestleMania after coming off the torn Pack, after coming back to WWE, after winning the Royal Rumble. Uh, like, this is it. This is the moment to do it. So I just I, I'm very surprised that people still aren't un, internet fans just hate Cody for some reason, whatever. But, well, you know why they hate him.
0: Come on, you know I mean,
2: why. Yeah. stuff. He left AEW. Get, he left their baby. It's not that he left AEW. Yes, it's course. that they think he ran out of AEW because he was getting booed. Which no, is, no, which is no, 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 the no. I've heard that from a lot of people. They're mad. That, no, that let me tell it, it was,
0: they're mad that he was the, the guy. You know, let's not forget AEW, you know, Tony Khan, of course, is the money behind it. And Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and the Bullet Club had this groundswell of of wrestling Mm -hmm. fandom outside WWE that created a situation for something like AEW to succeed. But Cody Rhodes was the lightning rod that left WWE, took it personal. He wrote the list. He went out, he joined the Bullet Club. He made his name in New Japan, Ring of Honor. He did all in. Like, Cody was the lightning rod where everyone could look at him and say, this is the anti-Vince McMahon. This is the guy we can root for that's going to deliver us salvation on wrestling that is not WWE. And that guy went back to WWE. And that's why they don't want him to succeed. Or that's why, even if they maybe want him to succeed, they keep thinking he won't because of X or because of Y. No, it's not happening. Cody Rhodes is as over, Chris, as any babyface face that WWE has had not named I, what John Cena or Becky Lynch, the man, and, and he's as over as they are or, or were yes. like, at that period of time too. Um, Kofi Kingston. He is as over as those people. It's a different story. It's not the underdog who's being held down by the company. You know, it's not, it's not the B plus player. It, except from it a. is. O'Brien.
2: Except it is. That's the larger story that nobody is like focusing on that to me is the story. It's him leaving because he thought he could do, because he thought he was I don't know being that's part of it. kept down. I'm saying he came back. Now he's going to get to the top. That's the meta story to me that he references it in interviews and, and kind of sometimes does in promos. But like, that's why there's like different layers to the story that he's doing. But to the point, this promo that he cut on Monday the match ends and he goes right into his normal cadence and energy of promo. I was like, all right, we're kind of getting the same type of thing we get from him all the time, but he built on it and it kept getting bigger and bigger as he was delivering. it. And by the end, I was like, all right, I'm on board, man. Like it it got me. I wasn't into the promo at the beginning, but he turned me around. He got everybody in that arena uh, in on it as well. That's because he's incredibly good at what he does. That's because he's the guy for the company.
0: What I want to clarify is what you're saying is the meta part of his storyline. It's no doubt. I'm talking about the active part of the storyline. What we're getting on Mm -hmm. TV, we don't have Vince McMahon or Triple H on screen trying to hold him down. We don't have other people trying to prevent him from getting his spot. He earned his spot. He's undefeated. He mentioned this in the promo since he returned to WWE. He is a strong white meat baby face going after a championship. And it's unlike a lot of people that have been put in this same spot in the main event of WrestleMania over the years. It's, this is as unique of a, this is, this is the closest that we've gotten to John Cena in terms of that guy going into the main event of the biggest show of the year, never holding a title and trying to win it.
2: Yes. The story is very similar to 2002 triple H who came back from the torn uh, quad. I think it was. And, um, uh, comes back, wins the rumble, wins beach Jericho to win the undisputed title. Now, People point out that starts, you know, that that title reign wasn't great. Reign of Terror comes and all the stuff, yada, yada. Triple H and Cody are different guys, even though they're similar in different ways. But yes, that is the story. White meat babyface, everybody loves him, giving out the weight belts. Crowds are cheering him, reacting to every promo. Like it's working. It is completely working.
0: Yeah. Drastically different guys, drastically different characters. The championship is as elevated as it has ever been in WWE in terms of the champion that currently holds it in Roman Reigns and the status of the title, given how coveted it now is and how many people Reigns has beaten, how many people big names have failed. You mentioned, of course, Drew McIntyre, Sami Zayn at the absolute height of his run in WWE last month, you know, at Elimination Chamber doesn't win. Kevin Owens, who was as popular a as WWE has had in a long time before Cody Rhodes came back, also lost. I mean, he, Reigns has beaten everyone, so for Cody to be in this spot, to be getting the reactions he's getting, the woe when he does his entrance is as loud as a WWE crowd can possibly sing a note or someone's theme. Um, it's, it's getting louder and unpar- louder every time. It gets louder and louder every week, and it's going to get, guess what? When 70, 80,000 people are screaming it at WrestleMania, you know, maybe that's the next thing that breaks the mic, along with uh, the Sami Zayn uh, chair shot to Roman Reigns, right? So... It's just what they're doing with Cody, it is working. And if you are denying it or you still think they should have strapped up Sami Zayn at Elimination Chamber, your head is in the sand. You're not paying attention to what's going on right now. It's extraordinary the way that this is getting over. To my surprise, too, I didn't think he would be this over. I mean, I knew he'd be over and I knew it would work, but I didn't think it would be like this. This is just this has to be exceeding all of their expectations. And as we said, that is why. Anyone who thinks that WWE isn't pulling the trigger and look, I don't want to like say this and then it's on audio and then April 2nd <laughs> comes and Roman Reigns retains because Jay White, you know, de- debuts in WWE and cost Cody in the main event. Like something crazy theoretically could happen. I don't see any scenario now in which Cody Rhodes no. does not walk out of WrestleMania as champion. And if you don't believe that's going to be the case, I just think you're fooling yourself.
2: If you don't believe that, honestly, I envy you because that's the excitement. I'd love to not know who's going to win going into the match. Uh, I I wish I could. I don't envy them. I think it's sad because
0: you want to get excited for that moment. I care. I want to see this moment happen. Just like, you know, with Kofi Mania, you knew he was going to win. Like that, you had to end the story with Kofi Kingston winning. And that made me anticipate the match even more. How are they going to do it? What's the moment going to be like? And again, I've said this numerous times on this podcast. I was in the crowd. For Kofi Mania at WrestleMania 35, the number of adults who cried after Kofi won the title. Even now, I get goosebumps about it. And I don't know that it's going to be the same for Cody. His story is different. But it's the same type of anticipatory build where you say, this is going to happen. I can't imagine how it's going to be. And I can't wait to see it actually go down.
2: Yeah, much like Cody's return, honestly.
0: Yes, very similar to that. All right, we got more in the main event still in this larger Bloodline storyline to discuss. Uh, Backstage at Raw, Owens explained that he asked Zayn for help multiple times, but he didn't get it, and now he wants no part of him. He also spoke to Rhodes through the camera, recalling their conversation from last week, where KO apparently said he didn't want or need Cody's help either. Kevin told Cody to focus on Roman and WrestleMania because that is how he can help, and KO wants to continue to fight the Bloodline on his own as he's been doing. And I remain waiting for someone to address what I talked about on our last show, all the shit that Kevin did to Sammy throughout their entire lives. But this was great from KO paying off the background conversation from last week while explaining he's not just keeping Sammy at arm's length, but Cody as well. Them teaming up in the coming two weeks, whether it's on TV or ultimately a WrestleMania, perhaps even playing the bloodline for fools where they've actually agreed to help each other all along. Whenever that transpires, it's going to get a huge pop.
2: Yes, and I, I think it's setting up a moment where both Cody and Sami Zayn are getting beat down by the Bloodline, and maybe Kevin Owens saves both of them, which mm-hmm. both elevates Kevin Owens, elevates the the Sammy Kevin Owens stuff. Um, you know, Cody's doing his thing, but I think tying him in with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn is ultimately helping everybody, and and, and it it makes it more like I don't know, just like authentic or feels like it's real guys we're we're, we're feuding with the same group of guys we should be like interacting with each other like that's how it would normally work so um i'm I'm really enjoying these little steps are taking on this
0: i could totally see what you just said happening like sammy and cody are getting beaten up ko makes the save they all stand up together like ko and sammy are like looking at each other cody pushes them together for a hug all three of them raise their arms together and start like pumping each other up because what you said is correct. Cody realizes, and I don't think KO realizes it yet. Sammy does to some degree, but Cody realizes that in order to defeat the bloodline, you can't, none of them can do it on their own. You have to do it as a group because there's so many parts of the faction that need to be handled from the Usos to Solo Sokoa to of course Roman Reigns himself. Paul Heyman doesn't really get involved physically in matches, which is good. Um, So their ability to work together is going to be the only way that Cody wins the title. Because guess what? I mean, maybe it's possible, okay, that it's Reigns and Cody one-on-one, zero interference, and Cody just wins. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think we're going to have the Usos run down and Sammy and KO run down and neutralize them, and it's all going to come together where you say, now it makes sense. Like, this is why they did it this way. So, yeah, yeah to that end, it, it al- there needs to be that moment where they come together.
2: It also makes winning the tag team titles feel like the equivalent or, or near to it of Cody beating Roman. Like th- these are equal it does. stories and matches that we're having.
0: It's cutting off one of the legs or one of the arms rather. And then Roman is now operating with the bloodline already injured and wounded. And the Usos, all they have left is to defend him. You know, they don't have the yeah. championship anymore. And he, he's out of his, mindset where not just he's dominant but everyone he rolls with is dominant that's no longer the case because they've already dropped the titles so there's a lot of elements that they can play into there and that's what's so exciting about the storyline as a whole we'll continue with what happened on smackdown Heyman later backstage after the owen stuff he said sokoa would solve the ko problem i guess this was raw not smackdown i'm sorry he said he would solve the ko problem while again warning cody that it can be personal for him but cody should not make it personal for roman Paul said Cody can acknowledge Roman in person next week on Raw and decide whether he's a challenger or a problem. And I thought it was a strong promo from Heyman, but I think everyone forgot a couple things. Cody has already acknowledged Roman twice. First, I think it was after <sighs> Elimination Chamber. And then literally again, Monday night on Raw, he said, Roman, like, you want me to acknowledge you? I acknowledge you. Acknowledge. acknowledge. Big acknowledgement acknowledge. right there. Now, I get like it's a gimmick to create another face to face, but I couldn't just help but think like, yeah, that's already happened a couple times.
2: Yeah, a little bit weak on, on, on why they go head to head, but, you know, you would like a little bit more, but it was fine. I was mostly surprised to have Cody and Heyman not ever interact, despite being even if it was backstage or, or something. I'll,
0: I'll tell you what, after their last interaction, I'm good.
2: Like, like the no, first one was like-
0: amazing. The second one was terrible.
2: <laughs> no, I agree. But just like they're in the same building and Heyman only doing a backstage thing. It was just it was a little bit weird to me.
0: Fair enough. And then we got the main event. Owens against Sokoa in a street fight. Uh, K.O. pulled out a table. The fans got so excited. So, but Solo threw him over the announce table and then tucked the table back under the ring to booze, which is such a great spot when you screw with the fans <laughs> like that. Uh, K.O. set up six chairs in the ring in two rows, but he ended up getting thrown off the top rope back first into them. Owens came back. Throwing Sakoa into the post and barricade, and then he hit a cannonball outside. They fought into the crowd up the stage and into gorilla position, where the Usos were waiting with a double super kick. And then they literally dragged KO all the way from gorilla position out to the stage, down the ramp and into the ring, before hitting two more super kicks with Sakoa adding a Samoan spike for the win. Owens spit up in the ring after the bell to sell the devastation, and the bloodline celebrated on the ramp to end the show. Now there were some nice spots in this match. It wasn't the greatest match, but Given we've had the guys all kind of save each other here and there in the past, it was really smart to have Owens suffer after he went so far as to claim again, I'm going to live and die against the bloodline on my own. I don't want any of your help. It's one of those, well, that's what you get, you know, type of deals. And that should lead to him coming around either this Friday or next Monday. All in all, a really solid appropriate end to the storyline on the show. And this, Chris, is exactly what I was talking about in comparison to SmackDown, where SmackDown ended with the Usos and Sammy and Cody, and you just like shrugged. Here, this was actually a storytelling element to develop what they're trying to do next with Sammy and
3: Kevin.
2: Well, I think they play together. Kevin Owens said, you know, Kevin Owens said on uh, you know, I don't need you, you know, you want to help Sammy, that's fine. All right so we get the smackdown ending where there's a beatdown and he helps Sammy you get the raw ending where there's a Kevin Owens beatdown and he doesn't get it because that's what he wants and so like the, I I do think those things are kind of working together and it is telling that story a little bit so I enjoyed that match was solid solo Sokoa, by the way just we we cannot praise him enough he does not get enough attention for what he does in the bloodline just really solid worker Uh, he doesn't talk much obviously, but it's just got such a presence to him. He really has carved out his own little spot in the bloodline, in the biggest story in wrestling history. He is absolutely part of this. I'm very excited to see what his future is. This dude debuted in in WWE last summer. And he's like, has main evented Raws, you know, street fights with Kevin Owens and type of Mm -hmm. stuff. So it's just very quick rise for him and he's great. So good to see
0: He also had a relatively short run in NXT before that, and he came in with experience when he joined WWE. But yeah, um, I think the elevation at Clash of the Castle, you know, we were frustrated because we loved that match so much and we thought it would have been a great spot for Drew to win. But when you look at it back, right, when you look back at it and you see the way they introduced Elisa Cohen, such a huge moment to prevent him from winning the title. Now you see what he's become. You just can't help yep. but be impressed at what that
2: guy has done. You and you look really you look back on that. You look back on that moment Solo's debut costing Drew the match, and it feels like a big deal. Not just ah, yes. uh, we had to come up with something to get out of exactly. Match. And that's a yep. credit. And that's a credit to what Solo has done since then.
0: And a credit to Paul Heyman and Triple H for booking it that way, and they yes. just did a fantastic job. Now that is our main event. We have the good, the bad, and the ugly booking the damn territory for WrestleMania 39, and the last word all coming up still on today's show. But first, we need to welcome in the WWE Hall of Famer, seven times women's champion, Trish Stratus, for the very first time. And I want you all, before I play this interview, be sure to listen close to the final minute of the interview as we discuss potential dream opponents for her. Because once the interview is over, I have a very funny anecdote to share. So here we go. Trish Stratus, the Silver King, one-on-one. Thrilled to welcome WWE Hall of Famer and seven-time women's champion Trish Stratus to the show for the very first time. You can catch Trish on a new episode of WWE Rivals, exploring her epic long-term feud with Lita, premiering on Sunday, March 19th at 10 p.m. Eastern on A&E. Plus, you can look forward to watching her team with Lita and Becky Lynch. At WrestleMania 39 this April on Peacock. And clearly, Trish, there is a ton going on with you right now. So I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and do this today.
3: Oh, I thank you. We appreciate it as well.
0: So when it comes to your rivalry with Lita, epic is one word to describe it. Another is groundbreaking. And it has been nearly 20 years since you two became the first women to compete in the main event of an episode of Raw, which is something then that was, you know, had never happened before. Now It's completely commonplace in WWE. And I've always wondered how that main event match actually transpired. Like, you guys earned that spot, no doubt. But as we've seen over the years, sometimes it's not enough. Like, did Vince McMahon realize the angle was so hot it had to go there? Were you and Lita going out of your way to push for it? Were there other superstars pushing for it? How did that actually come about?
3: Um, I think it was was the storyline that drove it, right? It was like this rivalry, like we talk about, that like has, at that point too, had been as soon since we both debuted really, it really started at the very beginning. Our, mm. our, our careers paralleled from the very start. And there was this little, like when those two get in the ring, there's just a little something, right? Like it was interesting. And not to say the tag match that was happening wasn't interesting, but people really, really, and we learned early on that they were really interested to see what these two are going to do nice. uh, during that, during that match. And so we really took the care to uh, make those, make the most of those moments. Right. And, and make our mark whenever we could. Um, and then, yeah, we just, then we started just, um, standing alone as superstars like in our work but also representing the company mm-hmm. um you know seeing a rise in female demographic uh, and starting to see that and, and you know knowing that was a reflective of the work we are doing in the ring um and the work we were doing outside the ring too you know there was a lot of charity works and things like that we did as well um but yeah it just um and because sometimes we, we but believe me that day we were shocked right we'd be between we went from they're making a joke, like they're shying behind the curtain to see like, oh, let's see if they think they're action in the main event. Like we really thought we <laughs> played play a joke on. Uh, thankfully we weren't. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think the storyline, people were so into this, this journey that we were taking as characters and watching us get to where we got to that they were, it, it needed to be there. It needed to close at the show. It was in her hometown, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like it just, everything was perfect and it just made for that moment. Um, and it took us a while to realize yeah, we we earned this. We aren't just being given, like we we earned it. Like we worked hard. We did the work to get to here, um, and then it was just up to us to like you know take that ball and, and run with it. Which um, you know look, it turns out we did. Looks like yeah. we, uh, we ran with it. Well, you put
0: know. on a great you put on a great match on top of it. And I've been curious, um, what was the reaction like coming back through the curtain in Gorilla? Because I know that's always one of those really interesting moments where you're either getting the thumbs up and the hugs, or you know people are just, oh hey good job out there, and you know you kind of move on.
3: Yeah. I mean, well, you know, you couldn't deny it. You heard the crowd. The crowd was like, yeah. it was it was a moment for sure. Um, and I think, you know, it was not only like, okay, leader winning the title after the storyline where the storyline had gotten us and like what her character did at that point. There was that, that for sure. Mm-hmm. But it was also, I think, what it represented. I think seeing females in the main event for the first time was like, oh, this is, wow. I think that it was something special. And maybe they didn't realize that fans didn't realize at the time what they were seeing and how special it was. But knowing that this was a special moment we knew as a special limit coming back and, 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 you know, we know we nailed the match. We told the stories we had to tell. Um, and, uh, it, we got a round of applause, like standing ovation, a round of applause from our colleagues, which is like, I mean, blow your mind, right? Like any, you couldn't ask for more amazing, um, uh, thumbs up, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. for sure. Uh, yeah, And I mean, and, and again, at the time we did not re- we were just like, Oh my God, we can't let them down tonight. It was mm-hmm. about tonight. Right. It wasn't about what this means moving forward. We did not, we, re- we were so young. We were just in the moment. We weren't looking at like what this potentially could mean in the long term. And it really took us to sort of move on and, and lay our legacy, so to speak, walk away from the business, come back to it and then see what impact it was and seeing the significance, um, what the significant impact of it made in the women's wrestling history.
0: Now, speaking of winning titles, winning a championship in at the time, what was a retirement match is not really a common occurrence in WWE or, or really wrestling in general. In fact, it's almost the exact opposite of what normally takes place. Were you surprised when you found out that was going to be the booking, that was going to be the decision? And how was that received given the circumstances?
3: Um, Well, again, I thought I was being ribbed. (laughs) It was, you know, one of those like, uh, are they going to th- like see me get excited? And then it's like, ha you actually thought that's going to happen. I thought it was going to change. I thought it was going to like, they were going to think about it hard and be like, wait, we can't do that. That doesn't make sense. She's going to leave the, cu- wait, hold on a We can't, you know, just felt like it couldn't happen, but, um, it did. And, um, you know, I don't know. I just, again, I think it was one of those events is obviously very good at recognizing moments and, uh, and, and, and seeing it was Toronto. It was the culmination of the rivalry once again of Trish and Lita to her like starting together running parallel the whole careers culminating to this match uh and then winning in her hometown I mean oh my gosh that is the right thing to do you know Uh, I mean there's times where the right thing isn't done we've seen that many times but I just he just knew it was a moment that had to be had you know and um he was I think I mean gosh I couldn't I could I, I couldn't ask for more storybook ending than that
0: Often, and I don't want to say overlooked, but perhaps not talked about enough, is the role that Fit Finley played in helping elevate the superstars in division for the women in WWE. And it was briefly mentioned on Rivals. I was always wondering, was it about him that made him such a good trainer for the women? And was it a situation where he took it upon himself to make the effort? Or was it all of you reaching out to him for help?
3: So initially, the story goes. Initially, he was brought on as like a rib, right? Like we keep talking right. about these ribs. Clearly, it's a thing we do backstage. <laughs> um, but it was like it's like, oh, let's, let's have this fighter, this legit fighter, right? Like go right. with the girls. Let's let's good luck with the girls. Have fun with them. You know, doing those cat fights when he wants to fight, right? Right. But that's what helped us, right? He was like when he saw. First of all, I knew when I even when I was brought in the very beginning, and I had done my training. You know, I have done only maybe three months of training coming into the business course not like the traditional upbringing of independence and mexico Mm -hmm. and things like that but um i knew like i I caught on very quickly i knew the psychology i'd watched wrestling my whole life so i feel like any kid who watches wrestling knows how to do a body slam before there actually should be not that we should be doing them at home kids but um (laughs) we know how to do body slam you know Um, but also my sports background right like it's just it came naturally for me so when he saw that like I wanted to do more. I wanted to do more than cat fights. I didn't like doing cat fights. I thought that was silly. I thought I can because when I was training, I was training with all guys. I'm like, I can I can do what they do. So right. can I? <laughs> you know? And I think him and I was like, let's do this. And so we were like, Yeah, you know what? They want us to go have a cat fight. Maybe we're not gonna pull the hair and do slaps. Maybe we'll chop and, and punch instead. Let's see what they say. The lucky thing for us at the time, we were so under the radar, really no one was paying attention to us, right? The the, the, the producer we on, we were that part of the show. They're like, just they'll have their match. Whatever, no one's even watching us. So we made it. We took it upon ourselves to use that to our advantage, and just start having these legit matches and like start putting together some good stuff that like fans suddenly went from chanting "We want puppies" to like "Holy shit!" And there was you know they they were like this is like oh this is like real action. And I remember the turning point. Um, I guess Jazz and I were working a program, mm-hmm. and um, they would take a poll of people at the live events. The first couple rows, they would take a poll. List your top three matches. And I remember Vince pulling beside and saying, "Um, so." you and jazz have been listed as like the top three matches, like for a long, like many weeks in a row. And he was like, keep it up, you know? And I was like, Oh my God, like, Oh, it's like, I was like, is that okay? <laughs> <don't
0: get> <laughs> Are I we allowed thought,
3: to do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> PTSD on that, like don't take up the guy's spot. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but yeah, like, and, and we just like, we just put in the work, right. We we're just putting in the work, but then we we're starting the fans. We're starting to take notice. But then at that point when the fans started to notice, when the rise in the female def- demographics started to happen, when you went to the autograph signings, it was just just guy of your bikini shot. Um, sign they want there's females there are going oh my god I love what you do it's motivating me in, in life like I, I see you a female making in a male dominated world I see you pursuing your passion and you- you're not taking no shit like you know you see that and it's like I love that um, and and so then the TV, you know, the producers, the people backstage had to take notice. And suddenly we were given the paper response. We we're given the time for storyline development, character development, bringing in new characters, new people that could work and mm-hmm. making it like a robust division. Um, so we were very lucky, you know, especially, in, you know, Elita at one point had a neck injury. And during that time, I remember because in the beginning, it was always like, you know, I, I never wanted to disappoint her. Right. Because I wasn't I wasn't the wrestler. Right. So I didn't want to go out there and like have the segment be less you know, not as good as it could be because I couldn't bring it, right? So mm-hmm. it was it was really what drew, drove me motivated me. So when she was out, I knew that like when she comes back, that rivalry, like, cause when you have this special thing between two characters, which has been going on for years and years and years, when she comes back and now we can take the special dynamic we have in the ring, but have it play out physically in a, in a match where we're both like able to deliver. Holy mm-hmm. shoot, That's going to be great. You know? So I was excited about that. So when she came back, that's when it really, that's when the rivalry is really cemented because we could deliver in the ring. That's when the main event happened. And then eventually culminated to the, you know, our retirement match where, um you know, I got to wrestle each other at the retirement match. So, Yeah. What a, what an amazing journey and to have it all like captured in the documentary. I'm so excited. I just honestly can't wait because um, to go back, like I keep saying, it's a retrospective thing to go back and realize the importance of what we did. Sitting down for this documentary we've talked about in the past, not to say it was fluffy, but you really realize the impact now when you, meet the girls you inspired, when you work with the girls you inspired. Um, And then not only that, but then you're also still doing it generally. We're here still doing it. Right. And it's really, it's really cool to know like this is happening. The rivals episode is going to air while we're actually on a road to WrestleMania, which is insane.
0: Yeah. Now, one of the most talked about storylines from your run that didn't involve Lita was that love triangle story that you did with Chris Jericho and Christian. It felt like that was peaking when Christian got hurt, which kind of like derailed the entire angle. I've always wondered what you thought about that story. And if you thought it had more potential going forward, had that setback not happened?
3: So there's a couple of crazy things I always say, and I really believe that everything happens for a reason. Right. And at the time, like, even like, for example, when Beth debuted with me, she mm-hmm. got her jaw broken. Remember? Um, it, I remember her saying to her, I know it sounds hard. It's hard to believe now, but this was not your moment. Like everything happens for a reason. And then later on she became, the glam and she there was a reason for her to debut at that time and maybe it wasn't what between it to get lost in the mix of me and mickey maybe or who knows what it could have been right um but like so during that storyline number one it was supposed to be the whole beginnings of the storyline was for chris jericho and i to end up together and we were going to be tristopher and we were like this quirky like little mm. believe me, canadian comedy duo which people get really annoyed with but also it, like I find endearing <laughs> um that was supposed to be the whole thing so like when vince came to us the night of wrestlemania and said think we're going to change things up. We're going to have, and that's when I was going to go heal. And I was like, Oh, what? No, we, this is like so many months storyline to get to this moment. Like we were excited about it. We thought fans want this and they did. And that's why he changed it. Fans wanted it so bad. No one ever expected me to turn. Right. Right. So that for me personally, it was a great moment. I was able to turn. So that allowed that thing to happen. So that was the first turn. I, I mean, change that happened, that allowed for something positive. Christian ended up getting, um, you know, injured, it, it ended up, um, I hate to say it in my, for my character, it, it helped my character because I wasn't a side piece anymore. Right. I was like the one. So basically it was Jericho versus Trish Stratus certainly, but then maybe it'd have the guys were fighting on my behalf to have their, they'd have their matches. So Tom was, matching, or was was working Jericho and things like that. Right. But the storyline was Trish and Jericho. Right. So, so it allowed me to really grow as a heel work along, you know, Jericho, which is amazing. Then he really, I learned so much from him working in that capacity. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it could have been really good but I think everything happens for a reason. And I think that was like, you know, my best work as a heel. And and I, my most enjoyable time for sure during, you know, I loved that, that phase was super fun for me. Um, And uh, yeah, so who knows what could have been if if Trish and I had continued, but it was, it it was what it was. And I think it worked out pretty good.
0: Yeah. It definitely seemed like some of the most fun you had had. There's no question about that. It's clear WWE fans still to this day, can't get enough Trish Stratus. And while you've made some appearances over the years, you know, sporadically, I have to imagine there have been plenty of opportunities presented that you have turned down. So are there any of those that stand out to you where maybe you had second thoughts or you wish you could have done it if it fit better in your schedule? Just kind of curious what opportunities you may have passed passed on over the years.
3: No, I, I my gut's pretty good. I'm like I'm like, nah, that's gonna be a no for me. I and I've said yes to the right ones and no to the right the right ones. I think along okay. the way, like yeah, there was like the twenty five person something or another. I was like, mm, no, I'm good. <laughs> you, <But know. laughs> you you
0: stuck with ones that fit the stature of, you know, you kind of coming back after a period of time being away, basically.
3: Yeah. Like it's not the stature of me, but it really, no, like I said, yeah, the, the moment. Box I check, which like, I want to have fun. I want to be challenged. I want to be able to like make a difference with another generation. You know, I just, I want to be able to like not pass the torch necessarily over time, but really, you know, it, that's gen, wrestling's generational, right? Like a lot of it is, there's always that ring general in there. That's you're learning from experience. And that's kind of been like, you know, how wrestling's kind of gone. Um, so yeah. So uh, yeah, I had to check those boxes for me for sure.
0: Now you're back working an angle for WrestleMania with a few women who have clearly and consistently stated that you and Lita are not just their idols, but in many cases, the reason they got into wrestling. Uh, Beyond that, they've called you guys dream opponents. I know you've interacted with them plenty over the years. You obviously did the Women's Royal Rumble a few years back. What does it mean to you when you hear that from them? And do you feel any pressure to almost live up to their expectations of what it would be to wrestle with or against you in the ring?
3: Um, I don't really feel pressure. I feel like, you know, I know what I'm capable of doing. I know what I can bring and I, and I, and I'm anxious to, bring and share with them to the, share with them um you know bailey should be nervous that's the one who should be nervous bailey because i gonna beat her ass and she knows how i am in the ring <laughs> um but no I, i'm excited i mean that's the, that's one of the most appealing parts about this comeback is you know teaming with my bestie number one right because uh, we've never in a weird way you're like trish and lena never really had their moment right like so for us to share this moment on the grandest stage of all is very special for us um and like to know we're doing it with the we're the past then there's the present with bailey and becky and then there's the future with EO in Dakota. It's really special. It's a unique dynamic that um is, I mean, I, I don't think I could have thought of a better scenario that I'd like to go back on to be able to touch the, that many generations.
0: That's cool. Now with this angle, it feels like there's been a bit of a start and stop nature to it. There were reports that plans changed perhaps more than once. Uh, we've obviously arrived at a very exciting place though with the six women's match or six women match. Uh, Obviously, stuff happens, but has this particular process been a bit frustrating given some of those adjustments that had to be made.
3: No, it's been uh, everything's been um, it's pretty pretty smooth to be honest. I know there's a little online <laughs> rumblings. That's about what I'm asking, yeah, exactly. But yeah, there have been, uh, but no, everything everything was, and I say everything happens for a reason. Like, I and there's definitely a lot of guts uh intuitions that are going into the, making these decisions and i think we landed at the right spl- place the right time um and i'm excited where it landed like i really i think it's you know just enough time before mania it's the right dynamic it's the right timing the, the girls capturing the, the, the tag team titles like unexpected what a moment nobody expected that and then for me i think there was so much buzz about me people forgot about me but then i was like surprised them again so like everything played out really well i think um in a nice in a way where this world could be you know predicted and, and everyone was like, ah, we know what's happening tonight, you know, like, so I think we did it in a nice way that it's uh, exciting and, and people didn't know what was coming next. And, um, and still, I mean, there's so much more that can happen between now and Mania. Um, I'm just, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting. There's a good little build up now. Cause like when I came back for Charlotte, we didn't have much time to build it. So here we have a nice little bit of time to build into Mania and uh, yeah, I'm excited about it.
0: Well, we certainly really appreciate your time. I'm going to get you out of here on one more question. Seeing the roster as it is now constructed, obviously you're wrestling a bunch of women coming up at WrestleMania, but if you were back full-time or if you were coming back from a limited run, who are some of the women that you see in this division who you would have been most excited to go against?
3: Oh gosh. So many of them. And it was something like why I started back in the live events with Becky, you know, seeing her, I'd love to face her. Um, You know, I I'm a fan of what she does. Bailey, uh, Bianca, Asuka, like there's really every, there's not one woman that I'd be like, nah, I don't want to work her, I'm good. you know what I mean? Like, I mean, even I, I, Carmela to me is, you know, she's so good in the ring, but has such a strong character. I've always been, i always admired uh, character, um, wrestlers that have strong characters, right? That are like, no, you know who they are. You know what that character is going to do before they even do it. Like, I love that. And right. I feel like the people that came up as valets Because we had that character development before we were wrestlers, you knew what that like Melina. For example, you know, you knew what Melina was going to do in the ring before she did it because you knew her character so well, right? So I love her development. I mean, yeah, there's so live. I love what she's doing. I think she's like I'm. I'm. I'm anxious to see her go to the next level. I think she's it's it's like kind of on the peak for her it's gonna it's gonna happen very soon um so yeah i'm honestly like i would i would if any if they decided you know stay stay around and and pick a singles match i'd I'd be like i don't know pick one for me like i don't know who to pick They're (laughs) everyone's amazing and i think i could do fun stuff with any of them who do you want to see me dream opponent i'm going back for you
0: um i'll tell you what the i'll tell you what these days you live morgan would be really interesting yeah she has that same type of spunk and energy that you kind of used to have and I think we really that? well together.
3: We mean used to have.
0: Well, I'm sorry that you when you were consistently in the ring all the time, showing your thing every single week. That you will, still
3: fun, energy. That you end. will.
0: This is this is how I wrap it up now. That you will yeah. show. That you will show once again That's on right. April 1st or April 2nd at WrestleMania 39 in that six woman tag team match, and also do not miss Trish Stratus and Lita with their edition of WWE Rivals on Sunday, March 19th, 10 p.m. Eastern at a That's the way we bring it all back at the end. I like um, it. Trish, okay. it was a thrill to have you. Thank you so much. And best of luck at WrestleMania.
3: Thank you so much.
0: So thanks again to Trish Stratus for joining us. Folks, when when we interview people, I'm talking about myself and Chris, uh, professionally, whether it's athletes, coaches, executives, wrestlers, there's always some conversation that goes on before and after you hit record. Usually it's like pleasantries. Occasionally you share appreciation for the person, stuff like that. But occasionally something happens where you really kick yourself for not having already started recording or having already stopped recording. And when you listen to the end of that interview, you know, Trish was super open the entire time. And if you can tell at the end, she was playing around a little bit and jabbing me, which if I knew she was fun like that, I would have played it that way during our conversation. But I digress. So afterward, I basically just told her when I stopped recording, hey, you know, as someone who grew up during the Attitude Era, thanks for all the years of entertainment. It's great to meet you and talk to you for the first time. She immediately, without a second thought, calls back to my comment at the end of the interview. She goes, oh, is that what you meant by spunk and energy? Which is obviously not what I meant talking about her and Liv pairing up. But it was freaking funny for her to bring it back and jab me with it at the end. Or I guess (laughs) as kids these days say, she effing boomed me. So let's just say I know the first question I'm asking her next time we speak.
2: Nice. I enjoy that. That was great. Awesome to get Trish on and uh, cool to see her at WrestleMania and back in the spot. She is a legend. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's been a fun build. It's good seeing her back.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we will talk a little bit more about that momentarily because we are going to slide into the good, the bad, and the ugly.
1: And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez. I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything, dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some. Sure, it's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read.
0: All right, let's kick things off with the Intercontinental Championship qualifying match from SmackDown. Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, L.A. Knight, Carrying Cross, and Xavier Woods. Now, Woods was in for Kofi Kingston, who, as we noted last week, appeared to get injured, uh, saving Drew's ass on that tope that he did. And yes, he did actually get injured from that. Clearly, we all want Gunther versus Drew versus Sheamus. But I got to tell you, Woods got me 1,000% behind him with this social media promo that he cut on Friday. And many would say that you're the underdog so how would you capitalize on this opportunity tonight
1: (laughs) underdog is a it's a funny word but let me unpack my opponents first first up we got drew mcintyre and sheamus these are two guys who seem to be best friends but they still want to knock each other out all the time And these are two men who seem to get title shots around this place like they're popping out of a pez dispenser but most importantly these are two men that i've beaten before And next up, we got Karrion Cross, a guy who's too busy doing magic with his girlfriend, Scarlett, to really focus on what's important. And lastly, we have L.A. Knight, a guy who clearly wants a talk show more than he wants a match. So I guarantee you, if this place gave him a podcast, we wouldn't even see him on SmackDown anymore. So when you say underdog, I think... Under respected. That is what I am. Because based on what I've already accomplished in and outside of the ring, I should have been had a title shot. I should have already been intercontinental champion. I'm the guy who's been nominated for not one, but two Nickelodeon kids choice awards. I'm the guy who's in an (laughs) interactive movie on Netflix. I'm the guy who beat Bobby Lashley while he was heavyweight champion. I'm the guy who won King of the ring. And I am the guy who broke Roman Reigns two year winning streak. But we don't want to talk about that because Seth Rollins did it after me. Under respected but tonight all of that changes because tonight i beat the four men that are going to be in the ring with me tonight i become number one contender and most importantly like i like to say i tonight i'm going to stamp my ticket to face gunther for the intercontinental championship at wrestlemania to underdog girl you must be on that stuff
0: i'm telling you dude like i mean i want mcintyre and sheamus in the triple threat I would take Woods Gunther one-on-one. That was a fire promo.
2: The second part of that was awesome. It was, was like by far the highlight. You you run down the people, you do all these things. It's fine. But pointing out, hey, I beat Bobby Lashley when he's uh, the champion. I won King of the Ring. I beat Roman Fact. Reigns, and we don't talk Fact. about that enough. Yep. That was, I'd, forca- I'd forgotten about that. He's right. Like, that is just spitting straight truth. And we know we get. You know, we get Xavier on the mic almost every week doing something. But when you have the jokey guys turn serious, it just hits different. And that was awesome. Awesome, awesome promo. Would have loved to have that in front of a crowd or something else. I know know. cut it for YouTube and social media backstage. But um, tremendous, tremendous promo from Woods there.
0: Yeah, it was great. So this opened SmackDown, and it was a bit awkward. Randomly, there were two referees who could count falls. Uh, Woods had a run with a springboard elbow on Knight for a broken fall. Imperium walked out. McIntyre from a tree of woe powerbombed Knight, who simultaneously superplexed Cross off, off the ropes in a really good spot. Woods, Cross, and Knight all took 10 beats each, but McIntyre took out Knight with a Glasgow kiss, interrupting a brogue kick. Sheamus then caught Woods flying with a boot, and McIntyre caught Knight running with his Claymore for simultaneous one, two, three counts by the two referees. Fans immediately started chanting triple threat, which Chris, I have straight up never heard before in three (laughs) decades of watching wrestling. I have never remembered, or I can never remember a crowd chanting triple threat. McIntyre and Sheamus argued in the ring and backstage. Gunther then told Adam Pearce he expected a challenger, singular, with Pearce deciding that McIntyre and Sheamus would fight one-on-one Friday with the winner becoming the number one contender for WrestleMania. Now, but despite this being a fatal five-way match with a lot of really good wrestlers, I kind of felt like it left a lot to be desired in the ring. And while the finish was inventive, it was convoluted as hell, given we have never had two referees in a simple fatal five-way. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It just was kind of stupid and convoluted, like I said. Now, if this directly resulted in the triple threat, I would shrug, move on and say, hey, you know what? You did something different. At least we got the match we wanted, but it didn't. And they're telling more story next week. And that makes the finish even more ridiculous because what are we getting Friday? A no contest, a double count out. They're going to have to do the same type of idea a second time to result in the triple threat match. And by the way, Gunther, fine. He wants one opponent, but he's not guaranteed a single opponent. Pierce can do whatever he wants. WWE can do whatever he wants. So I want to be clear. This was not terrible by any means, but I did roll my eyes. So that's bad in the execution. The creativity is good when it makes sense, but there are way better ways to book this.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I'm giving this a good, but you're right. Like we got to a result we expected, and there are ways you can have two people win. That was kind of a weird way to do it. You could you could have just had one referee count both of them. Like you don't need a second that's one referee. Way to do like, it, yeah. Like why why do you, you know you could just do that too. Um, so, like, but, you know, like, we're getting there. It's kind of like the Kevin Owens, Sami anything. thing. We're like, we're going to add a couple of small steps on the way there. And I don't hate it because uh, it's because that you're, you're trying to at least say, like, hey, is there still some stuff that could happen before we get to WrestleMania? So I, I, I thought that was fine. I, got, I, I do want to shout out Wade Barrett, who said uh, during L.A. Knight's intro on commentary, he said it would be wrong to not have L.A. Knight on the card in a city that was named after him.
0: Well, that's what LA Knight's been saying for the last two weeks.
2: Right. So I just, I thought that was good. No, that the city is named after him.
0: Oh, I got it. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah.
2: That's what Wade Barrett was saying. So that was, that was, gotcha. Gotcha. that was, that was, that was, that was like a classic, like Bobby Heenan type of obvious heel <laughs> trolling type of thing. I, I thought that was funny. That popped me.
0: Very Bobby Heenan, Don Callis type of thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, seeing LA Knight in a prominent spot against Cody on Raw while feuding basically with New Day on SmackDown, it got me thinking. And I don't know anything, okay? Nor do I want to get anyone's hopes up. But a program against Kingston and or Woods, it's clearly not WrestleMania worthy based on the way this card is being built, the finite number of matches that we're getting. And it's been one year since Big E broke his neck. And he was supposed to have a really important checkup in March. Now, look, maybe I'm just booking the damn territory in my head. You can accuse me of that, it's fine. But could you imagine the pop of LA Knight like walking out at WrestleMania, taking over the ring, demanding an opponent only for Big E to walk out in full gear as a surprise? Like what a moment that could possibly be.
2: Not only that, but Ridge Holland tweeted, I think on Monday, that he had been over over the past year had gotten death threats. People called mm-hmm. him racist, all these kinds of things. Uh, because of the Biggie injury. And TMZ picked that up and wrote about it. And I think it was Xavier, quote, tweeted Ridge and said, hey, like, you know, like, it's not cool. Like, we support Ridge, things happen, yada, yada. So that is more acknowledgement of like, hey, remember what happened to Big E type of thing? And also, I I can't, I, get, I don't know how far back I got to scroll, but I saw on a WWE social account a couple days ago, um, it, it said, like, who will... Uh, who will step up to LA Knight at WrestleMania? Basically, is what it said, and I was like, "Well, that's weird. He doesn't have a match, or at least they haven't announced one." So I, I don't know. So I do think it's possible something like that is coming. Uh, I, 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 you, you laying it out like that, and me throwing these other pieces together, I they keep saying you can't have an LA WrestleMania without LA Knight. So they're going to do something.
0: They're doing something with him. Yeah,
2: and it's so, it's just why is
0: he? It's like why is he feuding with New Day? He's a single. They're a tag team right now, obviously without Biggie. He doesn't have anyone that gets his back. La Knight in any of these weeks where he's been feuding with them. So, to what end is this happening? Why yeah, would they choose you- New Day?
2: Here, here's a Sunday night tweet from LA night says, everybody knows you can't have an LA WrestleMania without LA night, but WWE is late to the game, dragging their feet on giving me, giving WrestleMania the opportunity for an LA night moment. It's about that time. I get a heads up. I'm, I'm done waiting. So like, yeah, yeah. he's getting, this could also and, be, and, it, it could also be a
0: scenario where like, you know, they go back to WrestleMania 31. Was it in Orlando? The, the one with uh, the Hardy boys returning, they could do something stupid. To no thirty-two. Yeah, they could 32. do something similar yep. to that, where New Day is the conduit for someone else to come out. They int- they come out. Everyone thinks that one of them is going to fight LA Knight, but they introduce someone else instead. And it could be that could be a spot where if The Rock does show up, that they use The Rock or Stone Cold Steve Austin or the Undertaker. You know, could Tombstone him or you know they could do something as simple as that. But holy shit, if it was Biggie, could you freaking imagine? I mean, that would just be
2: so yeah. memorable. Now you got me all excited. I'm going to be disappointed. I, mean,
0: I, I said don't actually. get your hopes up. <laughs> I didn't mean to put that out there, but I mean man, knock on wood. I hope that's the case. That'd be so sick.
2: By the way, right, LA Knight and just for the record again, LA Knight in the Fatal Five Way in a Cody Rhodes thing, he is continues to really get over. This guy is killing it and it's, yeah. it's it's been cool to see him to continue to get these opportunities. Yeah. I actually
0: think he might be the favorite for money in the bank.
2: I, uh, yeah, I think I, I might've picked him a couple of weeks or months ago or something like that. Yeah. I could see that. Cause I, cause I picked Montez Ford for King of the ring. So yeah, you could see that. Or King of
0: the ring. Actually, you know, King of the ring might even be better than money in the bank for him.
2: Well, money in the, of the bank's a heel, money in the bank's a heel gimmick. I guess King of the ring is kind of too.
0: Oh dude. Come on. King of the ring can be a heel gimmick also. Yeah.
2: Yeah. King LA Knight. Come on. I mean, yeah. King, I mean, King Knight. Of well, if you, he'd be LA King. And then, he,
0: yeah, then, then they have copyright issues. That's a, that's a problem. <laughs> um, all right, let's, let's move on. We got a lot more to talk about. Uh, Ray Mysterio was announced on SmackDown as the first inductee into the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2023. It's rare for WWE to induct someone who's still a full-time superstar, but Mysterio, if anyone's deserving of that honor, I mean, he is. Now Ray has been with the WWE for all but four years since 20 or 2002, which is more than two thirds of his career. He's already in the AAA Hall of Fame as a three-time world champion, Two time intercontinental champion, two time United States champion, eight time tag team champion across WWE and WCW, eight time cruiserweight champion across both companies, Royal Rumble winner, Triple Crown winner, Grand Slam winner, insane career. So Ray hits the ring after this announcement, only for Judgment Day and Dominic to cut him off with Dom saying he's ashamed to be his son. Legado del Fantasma stormed out to get Ray's back, with Santos Escobar demanding that their scheduled match start immediately. That was Legado against Judgment Day. Late in the match, Zelina Vega tried to hurricana Rhea Ripley, only to get caught cold and thrown right into the guys. Ray yelled at Rhea, with Dom doing a baseball slide to take him out. As Ray ran into the ring, interrupting a potential babyface fall. That led Priest to To kick Del Toro in the head with Dom folding him over for the win. After the bell, Dom wanted everyone to clear the ring for a one-on-one talk with Ray. He got massive heat. Dom said Ray was a deadbeat dad and should have he should have been Eddie Guerrero's son. Dom then shoved him again, only for Ray to dodge an attack, making Dom look really foolish falling outside. It was more dragging out the inevitable. And nothing about this particularly hit for me. I mean, Ray being inducted into the Hall of Fame is great. But while Legato did get a couple pops from the crowd, the match just kind of felt formulaic. It was really good for the Ray announcement and for Michael Cole's continued unabashed hatred of Dominic Mysterio. But I <laughs> liked what we got on Raw. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Much better than what we got on SmackDown.
2: Yeah, it was it was a minor step forward because finally Ray uh, dodged a hit. You know, he'd been getting beat up by Dominic and people. Uh, oh, he learned finally this time to get out of the way, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> right. Uh, Dominic, Dominic saying, uh, WWE is going to induct a washed up old man into the Hall of Fame. Man, have you seen the Hall of Fame ceremony before? Like, (laughs) that's the whole point of it. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, this was minor step forward. Ray being, I assume he's, he's got to be the headliner of the Hall of Fame this year. I don't know what that says about the Hall of Fame and who's left and what you can do and can't do, but that stands out as well. Um, This was good. It was it was a light step forward. We got the bigger one, obviously, on Raw.
0: You know, he may be the headliner and he is a talent deserving of being a headliner. But there's a lot of talk that Batista may go in this year because it's in Hollywood. So it would be interesting if he kind of supplants him as that headliner, even though Ray internationally is a far bigger wrestling name. But Dave Batista obviously is a, a bigger name because of Hollywood and everything he's doing right now. Guardians of the Galaxy and. His acting career. So it'll be interesting to see who else fills out this Hall of Fame class. In fact, another name is being announced while we're taping this podcast on WWE's The Bump, and we may find out before the end of the show. If so, we will let you know at that time. Now, I mentioned that this continued on Raw. Ray appeared on the show uh, saying the Hall of Fame nod is not just about him, but his family, his friends, and the fans. He was about to thank the crowd when Dom interrupted on his own No Judgment Day with him. He said Ray cared more about the fans than being around for his life. Then he got mad that all of his friends got Mercedes when they were 16 but Ray only got him a beamer and not just a beamer <laughs> he didn't even get him an M series what a piece of shit father uh, he called <laughs> Ray a sad ugly excuse for a dad and a man before officially challenging him at WrestleMania now fans got hyped for this like as soon as Dom made that challenge and this is after they what chanted Dom the entire promo Ray repeated he won't fight his son and also repeated that he still loves him as he left the ring, Dom said Ray ran away from Raw, his family, and Dom, adding that all he ever taught him was how not to be. And I credit both these guys for knocking this out of the park. Dom is such a shit-eating heel that you didn't even question the inane shit that he was complaining about. There's really not else much to say from like an analysis standpoint, but it was damn good. Dom is getting major heat. And again, in comparison to SmackDown, I thought this was way better.
2: Yes, definitely good. Dominic's line about the cars was hilarious, and and the the Mysterio's Ray in particular, like he he wears a lot of luxury clothing, like a, a he lot, does, so like yeah. it totally fits in with what kind of their their whole thing is. Uh, so that was great, and yeah, it was interesting because I wasn't sure, like, are we going to do a tag team out of this Priest and Dominic together? Are they going to do it on SmackDown? Do they feel like Dominic versus Ray can be a WrestleMania one-on-one match, and I guess it's not official yet, but it appears that they do. And that's exciting.
0: It might be. I mean, you know, we'll see exactly what they what happens. I think the bigger topic beyond this is whether this is run as an angle at the Hall of Fame. And I'm starting to wonder if they perhaps don't even announce this match for WrestleMania until the Hall of Fame itself, making that the moment where Ray finally snaps on Dom. Like Conan is reportedly going to induct Ray, which is the clear choice, really the only choice uh, Mm -hmm. to induct him. And he's going to have tons of family there. Remember, the Mysterios and Ray in particular, keep kayfabe and intertwine it with their real life more than any other wrestler or wrestling family family going right now. So I could totally see Ray saying, hey, yeah, even in my Hall of Fame moment, I want to have wrestling involved in that i want to do kayfabe i want to ingrain a storyline into the entire thing and i i think there's a legitimate possibility now maybe look this friday or next monday they announce the match and everything i'm about to say is bullshit but i could really see a scenario where he keeps him at arms like this entire time and something happens like dom either interrupts the speech or attacks him at the end of it and they play that directly into a match at wrestlemania i think that would be really cool
2: I love that idea, and it's certainly not unprecedented that you don't announce a WrestleMania match until the day before the day of the show. Last year, we had Vince McMahon versus Pat McAfee. That was not a, you know, not a match that right. ended up happening. Uh, John Cena versus The Undertaker was technically a match, but it wasn't announced until, you know, it happened during the show. So that would make a lot of sense. That's a great idea to, to do an angle at the Hall of Fame. It'd be memorable. It would fit with what they like to do. Uh, I, I now I hope they do it.
0: It only works because of the Mysterios because any, anyone else you want them to have their moment like you're not going to have Batista up there speaking and someone attacks him and, you know, does some shit. It's mm-hmm. specifically that family and specifically Rey Mysterio. And it's really interesting, especially if everything goes through and they do induct him into the Hall of Fame. What happens after that? Does this become a retirement match? Um, does it just go part time after this? Or is he just a full-timer who happens to already be in the Hall of Fame? Maybe someone dropped out of the Hall of Fame, or maybe they're doing it early for him, specifically because they want to tell this story. So there's just a lot of different ways this can go. I find it all very interesting, and I'm curious to see how it plays out over the next 18 days. Uh, We also had a DM come in from Ben Porges at Ben Porges, Why do you think WWE doesn't split between Hall of Fame and SmackDown and put the Hall of Fame on Thursday? Do you prefer the short Oscar time for speeches version from the now let me talk to you old version of the speeches? So let's remember the doubling of SmackDown on the Hall of Fame. It's brand new. The reason why it's not Thursday is because people fly in Friday for the go home SmackDown. But there's also not a ton of stuff on that show because it is the go-home SmackDown and it's one day before WrestleMania. Like It starts 24 hours before WrestleMania starts. So they can price up the ticket for that SmackDown and it's more valuable as a fan to attend that show if you get two-in-one SmackDown and Hall of Fame. No one is gonna fly into a city specifically for the Hall of Fame a day before the actual wrestling begins. Now, previously, when SmackDown was on Thursday, it made sense to do Hall of Fame on Friday because people were already in town and WWE had already rented the arena for the entire weekend. When SmackDown was Tuesday and NXT TakeOver was Saturday, the only time they could do it was Friday. So that's the reason why they changed it. I think it's the absolute right call. And then as far as the speeches go, the old format made the show go like four hours. It was impossible to consume. And many of the inductees were people you just did not want to hear speak for that long. Now the speeches are way too short. The problem though, is they have limited time because they're holding it after SmackDown. So ideally they would make the hall of fame an additional 30 minutes overall and give everyone else an additional five minutes on their speech beyond what they already get.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. The the old format had gotten way too long. I didn't like that. Doing it after SmackDown makes sense, especially because NXT takeovers are not what they were. You know, they, they tweaked the schedule. My, I think my biggest issue is doing it in the ring. I I don't like the look of it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it works. Like the Undertaker walked around with the mic and engaged the crowd and everything, and and it worked. But for a lot of them, they're just sitting, standing at the podium, and I just think that looks better when you're doing it on a nice stage when they did it up front there. I don't know if you can really because of the chairs you can't take out the ring you can't do these things it's kind of what they have to do but they have to, i stuck. like yeah i i do like this format better because it's shorter and there's it, i'm more likely to listen to it when i know it's not going to be three hours long with 45 minute speeches um but aesthetically it's it looks very very pro wrestling and less hall of fame but i agree you know given given that's a t-
0: great that's a great point but you're right there's they're stuck because the ring is there and there's just yeah there's nothing they can really do. So, but but in in general, the concept is better. They still need to improve the execution. I think is what we're getting at. All right, we'll keep yes. going here. Uh, Edge opened RAW with a face to face with Finn Balor, who stayed at the stage with Judgment Day uh, while Edge was in the ring. Edge accepted the WrestleMania challenge, saying he's wasted an entire year on Judgment Day and he's running out of time in his career. So this one has to count. He admitted Balor made the faction better by leaning into their insecurities, saying he's also made Edge's life a living hell, meaning the only way they can end this once and for all is inside Hell in a Cell. That got a massive pop and a yes chant. Balor said he's already been to hell, but it couldn't handle his demons. Then Johnny Gargano, Candice LeRae, and Dexter Loomis made the save after Judgment Day attacked Edge, Raw went to commercial. What was nice about this was the acknowledgement that the storyline stretched too long and has been rather mediocre for the most part before telling fans, not only is this going to end, it's going to end in an appropriate fashion. And that's exactly, Chris, why Hell in a Cell is better as a well-timed stipulation to end a blood feud, which this is, rather than forcing it as a branded PLE. And then you had Balor dropping the demon line which makes me think we may get Demon Balor against Brood Edge after all. This was a good way to breathe life into a relatively blasé feud. I'm here for all of it, and I do expect ultimately this to be a great match.
2: I I don't know about the match, but this got me excited for it more than I had been at all. I've said for a number of weeks here that Edge versus Finn didn't really do it for me, but this promo, this segment got me into it. For Edge to admit, like, look, I don't have a lot of time left. I've been wasting my time on this for the past year. I want to do some other things. I'm sick of you. Let's just settle this in Hell in a Cell. All right, I'm down with that. (laughs) And and, uh, Demon references. I think we'll finally get, you know, a full on do it here. And so this was great. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it ending. And this worked. This opened the show. So, like, this is, that's, again, how you emphasize something that is Mm -hmm. not the bloodline made it feel more important. uh, It all worked for me.
0: It was a great start to the show. Not just that, but the match that followed. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, Chris, this is going to be the first Hell in a Cell match at WrestleMania since 2016, the fourth ever at WrestleMania, and the first ever at WrestleMania not involving The Undertaker, which is really interesting. So my only last hope before we get to the match on Raw, let's hope they go away from the red cell back to either metal or black. Um, but I also think this match could open either night of WrestleMania and be a huge
2: hit. I agree. It does feel like a show opening type of match. And yes, no red cell, please.
0: As we get closer to WrestleMania, not only when we book the damn territory, we'll go over like our projected cards, what we would put on night one and what we would put on night two. But first blush for me is edge. Balor opens one night and the Intercontinental Championship opens the other night. That's what—that's where my brain is right now.
2: Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, because uh, okay, because so the there's, not, there's not there's there's not two there's not two world titles. Um, yeah, we'll we'll get to the end when we. We'll and there's only three women's matches,
0: games. so you're, those shouldn't be opening a show. Right. So let's get to the match that followed this: Gargano and Loomis against Dom and Damian Priest. Gargano and Loomis both got the crowd up with their hot tags. The referee at one point counted. I don't know if you saw this while Loomis's shoulder was midair. He just was counting a pinfall. It it was ridiculous. I have no idea what the referee was doing. Uh, LeRae went after Ripley for getting involved, only for Ripley to dump her on the barricade. Loomis and Ripley then faced off with Dexter blindsided by Priest. He ate a flatliner and a frog splash for a broken fall. Loomis got Dom in silence, but Priest blind tagged, hit a huge boot and a sky-high south of heaven for the win. And man, this match was such a pleasant surprise. Like, Providence got up for the faces. As I've said the way to get a guy named Johnny wrestling over is by, you know, letting Johnny (laughs) wrestle. Uh, The booking protected Loomis, the right team won, and the Dexter-Rhea Ripley showdown was kind of fun too because this crazy person, Loomis, is the only one who you might say, hey, you know what? If a man is going to strike her, he would be the one to do it. Uh, So, you know, of course, with WrestleMania plans going to uh, Judgment Day, they had to win the match and they did. Literally the only negative was the referee's absurd count at that one point. This was good stuff. Despite a long match to open the show, the crowd totally bought into it.
2: I agree. When when this started, I was not super into it because the Loomis stuff, it's just, I don't really care. But this was really fun. The real Dexter Loomis dynamic was fun. The wrestling was good. The right team won. And so by the end of it, I was like, that was good. That was entertaining. Good stuff. Yeah.
0: Uh, Miz earlier on Raw laughed at Kathy Kelly's suggestion of a co-host for WrestleMania. Seth Rollins backstage credited Logan Paul for landing a lucky shot, but said no one can keep him down. Miz told Rollins that Paul would do a live version of his podcast on Raw next week with him guesting it. Uh, Baron Corbin then walked up wanting to be on that show. Miz denied him, so he asked to be the Mania co-host. Rollins instigated the whole situation, so Corbin offered Legitimately, to give him boxing lessons as a three time golden glove boxer, Rollins laughed and denied him. That made Corbin angry and obviously led to a match. Miz said he'd put in a good word for Corbin if he won, but then later on commentary during the match, he basically said, I'm not doing shit for this guy. Like, I don't know what you guys think I'm going to do, which was really funny for Miz. So he had Rollins against (laughs) Corbin. Rollins threw Corbin into Miz on commentary. Miz then tried to interfere but ate a heel kick. Rollins then had a choice on who to stomp. They were both bent over. So he decided to jump off of Miz's back and stomp Corbin in what was basically a squash victory. It all worked as like an in-between week story to keep Rollins on TV without having Paul there. It was good. It wasn't special, but it was good.
2: It, it was good by the end. They told a story you know, throughout the show a little bit, and, and you got the right result. My only issue is that the very first time we see Seth is he's smiling and laughing and doing all this stuff again, right after he got embarrassed by Logan Paul again last week. Like the first time I see you after that, you should be pissed off. Like you should be mad. He's like laughing around playing on it. It's just, he feels, it feels like he's just moving from one end to the other of like, I'm serious. I don't like Logan Paul to, uh, to, to just all the song stuff. It's just, it's all over the place. And I did end up going listening or watched him on the after the bell pod with, with Corey Graves. And it was a really good interview. And I was just like, I feel like Seth needs to be serious. And then when he wins, then when the you know when something big happens, then you go into that character of like, oh, I'm like, oh, cheering and directing the crowd and doing all that stuff, like starting off at that level. I don't think is working. You've got to build up to that level when a good thing happens. It just, I've had an issue with connecting with the Seth Rollins character for a while, especially with him as a face. And I just think he's he's all over the place a bit still. And it's it's been, him and Logan Paul last week was great. But then he kind of went back to what he was doing before this week and it just didn't work with me.
0: See, I disagree completely because to me, the character is, it's not smiling and laughing like he's happy. It's it's a psychotic type of thing that he's going through where, you know, he he's laughing and everything's a joke. And, you know, uh, you know, he's better than everyone until it gets serious. And the smile wipes away off his face, Gets serious. And he cuts a promo like he did last week. I I think it works totally fine. I mean, I think, you know, smart people can simply disagree on what kind of character he should be portraying. And I do agree that once the Logan Paul feud ends, I'm I'm ready for him to get away from being Seth freaking Rollins. Like, he should go and be Seth friggin' Rollins, which is really, you know, fucking, which is the whole point of the entire mm-hmm. thing. Um, but the freaking part of the character, I agree, needs to go away. But because that is the character right now, I don't think he's doing anything wrong with the way he's acting, nor do I think there was anything wrong with that segment backstage.
2: Sure. I, I would understand the idea that Logan Paul is driving him crazy to do this, except for he hasn't changed. This is what he's been for the past year. So it's it's... It's it's just, it's weird. It's weird for me. It's just, he's doing very good, serious type of stuff. The promo with Logan Paul, the after the bell interview. Like I really mm-hmm. think people would get behind that. And then you add the song and his antics and stuff on top of that. And it takes it to a different level as opposed to the way he's kind of navigating it. That's just me.
0: Though. All, right. All right. Let's keep going. Uh, Charlotte Flair fought Shotzi in a non-title match on SmackDown. Charlotte was wearing an extremely odd full body suit that included like gloves backstage. I just could, I couldn't get my mind over like whoever designed that outfit. Uh, she said she wanted a match and got Shotzi. Ripley walked out after two minutes. Shotzi got a hurricane out of the corner. Flair soon hit a really easy spear and one with the figure eight while taunting Ripley. After the bell, Rhea entered with a mic saying, she'll take the only thing Charlotte cares about, the title. Flair said Ripley has improved, but she has also improved. It was nice that Shotzi got time in the ring but man, this match was shit. They were moving as slow as molasses. And while we finally got a Ripley Flair moment with Rhea actually talking, here we are three weeks out from WrestleMania and Rhea has not told her story at all. That's the compelling item that we need here, especially given Charlotte is not at all believable as a babyface. Her title reign right now is meaningless. And when I've seen her on screen ever since her return, There is literally only one thing that crosses my mind.
1: I'm bored, brother.
0: I just don't care about her anymore. The title reign was sudden to take it off Ronda Rousey. It feels meaningless. It's almost like she's a mannequin holding the strap, going into WrestleMania, just so she can give it theoretically to Rhea Ripley. The match has zero juice. Like, what is the fucking holdup? Let Rhea Ripley... Tell her story. There should be video packages, and she should be out there, even though she's a heel, explaining why this means so much to her, why she hates Charlotte Flair so much, how that WrestleMania moment where she lost the NXT title, how it affected her, and she wants revenge and she's not gonna stop until she gets it. But we didn't get any of that. And because of that, this was bad.
2: Yep. First off, the match sucked, sucked. Uh, I, someone else someone else pointed this out the other day and I went and looked it up Shotzi this is Shotzi's this was Shotzi's first singles match since November 27th a house show yeah like she was on the Rumble Elimination Chamber qualifying match and a tag team match that like that's it she just hasn't been I don't know if she was rusty or what but they didn't click at all um just real mess there and, and the reappoint, point yeah exactly like to t- talk about how how much that uh, hurt her losing uh, to Charlotte at WrestleMania? Then how she won the title the next year, but only because Charlotte uh, had to pull out or something like that. And she, I always wanted to get back to this moment, and I've been waiting and I've been waiting, and I'm finally here. And I'm, you were the one I was always, like, we just we've got none of that. And like, there's only a couple weeks left. Maybe we'll do that, but like, there's there's been zero story told here since she won the Rumble in January. So like, I just, I don't get it at all. It's a complete disservice. The whole point of this is to bring Rhea Ripley up to that level and make her a new face of the women's division type of thing. Like they just, they haven't even tried. I just, I don't get it.
0: It's unbelievable because everything else she's doing with Dominic is great. And, and the Beth Phoenix and edge stuff was great. So you have her and she's succeeding and people love booing her, but they also kind of are rooting for her because they like her as a performer. And you're just not executing any of it. Charlotte Flair, a large part of it is because Charlotte Flair is a terrible baby face and always has been. And that's why mm-hmm. I'm going to mention it again in a moment, Chris, they booked the wrong matches for WrestleMania. Okay. It should have been Rhea Ripley challenging Bianca Belair, and it should have been Charlotte Flair as a heel against Asuka. There's the same story with Charlotte Flair and Asuka, similar story as there is with Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley. And Charlotte, because she loves to talk and do her slow pauses while cutting promos, she could carry that feud against Asuka, who obviously does not speak English, but can still be out for revenge as a pure babyface going after a pure heel. That would work. Instead, we have two matches that are the opposite of what they should be, neither of which are being built well. And that, Chris, is my segue Into the next segment, where I'm going to go off a little bit. Uh, Bianca Belair against Chelsea Green in a similar non-title match on Raw. Carmella entered with Chelsea and got a super kick on Belair at one point. Mella was back on the ropes later when Belair did her handspring moonsault, bouncing Mella off the ropes and then eating. Uh, Bianca did double knees from Green. Belair eventually countered Chelsea into the KOD and got the win. The heels attacked again with Asuka again making the save, looking like an absolute badass. In a black pattern jacket with blue and red hair, Asuka teased handing the belt back to Belair. She danced around with it a little bit before coughing up blue mist goo and laughing hysterically. Bianca was unamused as Asuka danced to the back. And I was actually mixed a little bit on this segment. So let me break it down. Bianca getting a featured match and Chelsea working with her, that was good. Like it's nice that they did that. The exact same immediate post-match was lazy and bad. But the extended post-match was better than last week. I'm not saying it was good. I'm saying it was better than last week. But this entire feud is stuck in neutral with zero storyline build. Like we think there's no storyline in Rhea Ripley, Charlotte Flair. There is legitimately no storyline in this. Plus, they got the AEW treatment of being the penultimate segment in the final hour with no other women's match on the show. Even the other women's storyline we got, which we're gonna talk about in a moment, It didn't result in anything on Raw. So I'm settling on bad for this segment. I know there's a language barrier here, but Asuka can speak well enough. We've seen her speak during the entire pandemic in the Thunderdome. We we heard her speak. She's had numerous feuds in NXT and the WWE main roster where she can speak. She's not going to deliver a 10-minute soliloquy promo, but she can talk. You can tape segments with her where you can do a couple takes and make sure she gets it right if need be. There has to be some storyline for this beyond a one side of a babyface versus babyface feud playing mind games. I just, Chris, do not understand what Triple H is doing. Belair is ice cold. Asuka is doing nothing. This should be hot as hell with the crowd clamoring for this match. Instead, it's a shrug. What about, again, video packages, pre-taped promos? There are so many ways to build this, and they're doing nothing. Bianca Belair has been champion for 16 of the last 22 months, nearly as dominant as Roman Reigns. And instead of being portrayed as this dominant force, meeting the most physical and ferocious challenger yet in her entire career, it's a person with a belt fighting a person who spits blue mist. That's the entire story. Like, what the fuck are they doing? What are they doing in the entire women's division? I already mentioned they did the matches wrong. They should have Flipped it, Asuka Flair would have been perfect. And Bianca and Rhea would have been great. I understand they want to delay that because that's their big money, fresh women's division, new age type of match. They probably want to run that at WrestleMania 40. But because of that, here we are. Belair retaining over Asuka or Asuka beating Belair and ending her run. Either result they choose needs to mean something. And right now, based on creative, neither means anything. And we have no reason to care. It is eminently frustrating. They're just not
2: even trying. Like there has been no story told at all. No vin- vignettes, video packages. Tell us the background, whatever. Like there's so many things you can do with Asuka to just make us fear her as opposed to her dancing with the title belt and spitting up blue goo. Crowd was dead silent for this. They do not care. Nobody cares. There's no reason to care. They haven't given us everything. I just like, like you. But everyone wants to care because everyone likes both all. of them. Sorry, I, didn't, know, I, just, don't, I just, yeah, I just, I don't understand it. It's just, it's a complete waste of time. This was a bad borderline. I was going to give the, the post-match an ugly, just like, not like, what is this? Like, how do you look at these two matches, two championship matches and be like, all right, we're telling the story. We're getting people into it. Like, it's just absolutely bizarre. Uh, I, I don't know if we were going to mention this later, but they've multiple times mentioned Rhea Ripley Charlotte Flair as a WrestleMania main event. And there were rumors a couple of weeks ago that this was going to be the night one main event. It's like, not going
0: to be. There's no way
2: it, it can't, can't be. be. There's no way they're, they're like, just because, you know, you didn't do a women's main event last year. So you want to do it this year? I, I don't know, but this is absolutely horrible booking and it's not the fault of any of the competitors. in this because all four women are immensely talented and they are being given absolutely nothing to work with.
0: Yeah. Uh, And look, there is still time, right? There's 18 days left. There's, what is it? Five shows. So they can amp both of these up. They absolutely have the ability and all the women involved have the ability to make something of this. But there's no excuse this past week and not last week, but two weeks prior. All those episodes where we talked about, Chris, where nothing happened, where we were just bored. The, instead of being bored and nothing happening on those shows, they could have used those episodes to lean real heavy into the women's storytelling and then the other two weeks to lean real heavy into the men's storytelling. Instead, they're just doing nothing with the women. And you guessed it last week on this podcast. You called it. They're going to do the Can They Coexist match next week with Belair and Asuka teaming against Mella and Chelsea. And I need to say, I don't hate doing one of those on a main I do. I don't hate this because in storyline, they have built up towards this match happening. There's a reason for it to go down. But yes. they need to use this as a way to pop off their feud. Where not uh, they can't lose the match, but Asuka does a kick and knocks Belair in the face, or Belair does something that pisses Asuka off. And immediately in the post-match, once they win, they attack and they have a pull-apart brawl or they get really into it outside, throw each other over the table, fight into the crowd. They have to do something to give this some fucking juice because, I mean, Chris, what have we talked about on this podcast in three years of it existing? We love Asuka. She's a badass. We want her to be a dominant champion. We love Bianca Belair. We used to call her the future. Now she's the president of the women's division. She's super popular. And she has been, not from an in-ring standpoint in terms of like, the storylines they've given her because her reign has been shit. But from a prominent standpoint, carrying the belt, doing media for WWE, she's been a great champion. So they have the right two people on WrestleMania in title matches. We can say they're against the wrong opponents, but they're the right people. They need to make this match matter. And there's no reason it doesn't matter.
2: Yeah, just give it a story. There's no story here. Give yeah. us a story, please. You got time.
0: You got five shows left. Make it happen. You got, what, two Raws left. Make it happen on Raw. Damage control was shown earlier Monday attacking Trish Stratus in the backstage area. They threw her into the sides of a dumpster and a road case backstage. It ended with a triple superkick laying her out. Becky Lynch and Lita during Raw stormed into the trainer's room to check on Trish. All three later exited the room with Lynch saying they were going to kick damage controls head in. Stratus said that she's been hit way harder than that and now she's actually pissed off. Now this did up the intensity of the feud and I actually like the backstage attack. So I'm going to give it a good for that reason, but given we had a three hour show and there's only two raws left, it felt like a lot more should have happened to develop this coming out of last week's challenge.
2: Yes. uh, Not much. I did enjoy what they did and Trish sold the uh, getting thrown into the case. Her head snapping back. Oh man. I thought she had hit it. Like she sold the hell out of it. And later on, uh, I think she had a, Bruise. I assume it was just makeup that they put on her head as well. So a uh, good little detail there. It, it was a light good, but there's nothing, nothing else to it.
0: Just to wrap up the women's stuff real quick. Three women's matches on mania thus far is one too few for me, especially with the women's tag team titles, not as of now being defended and storylines for the two main event matches that we talked about, the singles championship matches being rough. It's leaving a lot to be desired from a booker in triple H who showed a legitimate aptitude for booking the women In NXT and his two favorite women you could argue in NXT were Asuka and Rhea Ripley who are both the challengers in these title matches which to me it it makes it even more flabbergasting that this is not going as well as it should be going so that's just a way to wrap that up Uh, we got a lot more to talk about here Uh, Austin Theory walked into the arena with the Street Profits clowning him for being a baby John Cena and a choke artist he said they'd be unemployed soon, calling himself the most important thing in WWE while wondering which of them is the toughest. He guessed it was Dawkins because Montez Ford chokes whenever he gets an opportunity. Dawkins got in his grill. Theory accepted a challenge. And then he joked that the profits have no path to WrestleMania. So we had Theory against Dawkins in a non-title match. Theory got an updated entrance with a spotlight. Same theme, though. Uh, Dawkins went on a nice run, but got caught with his uh, a right hand while he was trying the spinning splash. Theory followed with a town down and he got the win after the bell theory put Dawkins in John Cena's STF until Ford made the save theory then did you can't see me to him from the ramp. The backstage segment was damn good. It accomplished a lot, including theory, like getting his balls back after uh, getting roasted yep. by John Cena last week. He was able to roast the profits this week. That was the purpose of the segment. The match didn't captivate the crowd, but I thought they both did really solid work, which was a little bit surprising that the crowd didn't respond more. Uh, But I also thought the post-match was smart as well. Crowd was either
2: really into something or did not care. And this was kind of one of the did not cares, but I really enjoyed the backstage. Uh, Maybe this means we get Austin Theory Montez for next week, but I appreciate him hey, like Montez, you don't deserve me right now because you choke every time you get a chance. Uh, Dawkins got an opportunity. Everything here worked. It was good.
0: My initial take was, you know, this might be an indication that Theory beat Cena because they're clearly building Ford as the next challenger for him. And then I thought, you know, the Cena match doesn't need the United States title. So I wondered whether Theory Ford might happen before WrestleMania, given the post-match. And then after Raw, they announced this for next week. And I just find that intriguing because it's not really a match that Montez should lose. If they're trying to capitalize on his elimination chamber performance, like I don't, I'm not going to predict it's going to happen, but I could see a title change as unlikely as that may be to platform the title and get Ford on the WrestleMania card and keep theory and Cena the basically exact same match that it already is. If he loses Montez, then I just got to say this would be better served for after WrestleMania. Like, I don't know why you would, run this match before the big show. I know they have TV time to fill on the road and and all that type of stuff,
2: but there's other challengers that could face him. So I, I found the whole thing curious. I have been of the belief this whole time that Theory is going to beat Cena, um, but part of that was because he was going to be US champion. So if he loses the title to Ford, I think he then loses to Cena, but then you're giving him two losses. So... I think Theory retains the title. I think Theory beats Cena. So that's my pick for now.
0: Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh Brock Lesnar interrupted MVP five seconds after he started talking for a face-to-face with Omas. Fans immediately chanted holy shit, like before they even stood off. Just as soon as Lesnar stepped into the ring, they chanted holy shit. Omas put his fist and open hand near Lesnar's face, but cameras missed the angle. The whole point was that his fist and hand was as big as Lesnar's face, but they didn't show that camera angle, which I just don't understand why they didn't do that. Then they shook hands with Brock laughing before realizing that Omas was stronger than him. So he stomped Omas's foot to get up on him, but he got muscled over the ropes. It was slightly botched, whatever. He got over the ropes. Now, Lesnar's face outside expressed like some respect, but also doubt. Before he walked off backstage. And I got to say, as someone, Chris, who has no interest in this match other than the obvious spectacle moment of the F5 that we're going to get, and as someone who thinks that this is an utter waste of Lesnar on the biggest show of the year, not only was this well done to create some intrigue, the crowd absolutely loved it. It is rare that Lesnar ever acts like that for an opponent. And there is something about just. Big, meaty men slapping meat. Oh, we got two big, meaty men bumping meat tonight. That the crowd eats up, especially the casual audience. This, to my utter shock, was a good segment. This was a good.
2: The crowd loved the standoff. That was, you know, this is a spectacle match. One of the spectacles is going to be the standoff, and we got it. That was great. However, they completely lost the crowd with the little scuffle afterward, and the crowd was dead silent at the end. It was kind of awkward because Omos, I think, thought Brock was going to go back over the rope. Brock wants to go front over. They had to kind of rearrange it. I don't think it was necessarily anybody's fault. It was just kind of an unfortunate thing that happened. I just kept thinking, like, and, and Brock is so good at putting over, like, a big guy that he's with. We all remember when he lines up with Keith Lee in the Royal Rumble and he goes, Ooh, big boy. And he's doing all that. That's what he was doing here. He's using his arms talking about like, Whoa, this guy's pretty big. And then he gets thrown out of the ring and security comes out and Brock's like, no, 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 you, you don't need to hold me back this time. I'm not going to run in there. Like that's, that's a, that's hugely trying to put over Otis of just like, I feel like Lashley stuff happens. He's been getting in pull apart brawls. Refs have had to come on all the time for Brock recently, but for this one, He's like, nah, nah, I'm good. You don't need to stop me. I'm not going to run in there and fight this one. So major props to Brock for doing his best to try to put over Omas here. I just kept thinking, though, imagine if like Omas spent the past two months, three months, just kind of on a roll, just beating people. And maybe he didn't know where it was going to go, but he was just racking up wins. Mm-hmm. And then the Brock thing happens. And then we're like, oh, OK, Omos is like built up to fight Brock. Now this feels good. We, we've barely seen Omas. He basically did this last year with the Lashley thing. And Lashley, mm-hmm. you know, Fisherman suplexed him. That was the, the moment. He's just a giant, but he's not a giant that we exactly fear because he almost loses more than he wins. I think I don't know what his exact record is, but, but he's most notable for his losses. And, you know, he beat uh, Ziggler last week. That was a good step. But imagine if we had gotten like two months of that, then it would have felt like putting these two guys together feels right. So uh, this was good. I liked
0: it. I don't think they knew this match was happening. That's
2: no, that's the thing. Clearly, clearly something changed. And just if, you know, if you had planned this better out, I think it could have hit even better.
0: That's fair. Uh, Braun Strowman and Ricochet fought the Viking Raiders on Smackdown. Ivar took Braun down with a running crossbody into the barricade. Ricochet hit a Hercurana. Eric came back with a big knee and a Liger bomb. Ricochet hit a springboard moonsault. Strowman did the train on Ivar, but Valhalla, pulled Eric away. So Braun flew over the announce table. Then she distracted Ricochet, who missed a 450 with Ivar hitting a huge kick and a top rope splash with the heels getting the win. It was unexpected finish. I thought it was a good decision given tag teams like the Raiders need to get built up. Solid match overall. I'm still really curious to see what happens with Braun and Ricochet at WrestleMania. It's really strange that neither of them is on the card. They're both immensely popular, Braun in particular, but I liked what they
2: did here. I enjoyed it. I just didn't really care because like I said at the beginning of the show, this is something that just has no ties to WrestleMania. And so you're just not as into it right Mm -hmm. now. So like, like good, it was fine. It was just hard to get into because I was like, I don't know what either of these guys are doing right now. So it happened. Chad
0: Gable was looking for Otis backstage throughout raw, uh, shushing the Miz, getting his gone missing flyers knocked out of his hand by Becky and then shushing Mustafa Ali, later while Ali was telling him to be positive he eventually found Otis with gelled hair wearing all black and sunglasses uh, taking modeling photos with maximum male models there was a great line because there was a scheduled max a uh, match of the maximum male models against the good brothers and they didn't do it on the show so uh, there was a great line because uh, they weren't cosmetically cleared to compete, which I just thought was really funny. Uh, Gable tried to join the photo shoot, but he got dissed. He then tried to convince Otis to work out instead of taking more photos with them. But he went with the models to Gable's dismay. Look, they got me on this. They do. I'm legitimately curious to see how this plays out, not just for Otis, but Gable losing his best friend and maximum male models. They continue to shine comedically. It's good.
2: This is, again, something that's not on Mania, but they're telling a story. And so I'm into it. And Otis looked hilarious. He's wearing like Jeff Jarrett style glasses from 2001 or whatever. And and Gable goes in there to try to do the photos. And I don't remember which one of the models says it, but he goes, my camera, it broke. You broke it with your ick. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that the popped me. Um why. Yeah. Maxine makes some Vanderpump rules drama references if you don't know what that's about consider yourself lucky yeah it went uh, right over my is, head and
0: i was like you know what i'm happy that that went over my yeah, head.
2: yeah this this was uh this was hilarious i just all these they're all working and like otis leaving and chad gable looking kind of sad like i almost thought i heard an awe from the crowd mm-hmm. uh so it's 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 great i'm loving it it great. is
0: uh bronson reed fought elias reed caught elias the modified thez press at the bell hit a running splash rick boogs continue taking notes and he tried to get the crowd going for Elias, but the crowd just did not give a shit about this match. Uh, Reed then caught him with a ripcord power slam and the tsunami for the win in two minutes. Fans do seem to react to Bronson's moves because of his power. And I have no problem at all with squash matches to establish someone who's (laughs) not in the storyline. But now that fans have seen what he's able to do at elimination chamber, he needs to be in real matches. They have to allow him to compete And they probably, no pun intended, need to give him something meatier than this. Uh, I'm going bad just because in all the other instances of Bronson Reed, the fans got up for it, and here they didn't. But it's a very light bad. It was just mostly nothing.
2: Yeah, I'm the same. I don't really know. Is Bronson Reed a heel here? I, I, I don't really know. Elias is a face, I guess, but Elias never works as a face. He's a great heel character. It's just they're trying to figure out something for Boogs to do. I just, I don't really get it. Uh, you, you tried the Boogs as a sidekick thing. It's sometimes funny, but this was just whatever.
0: Yeah. It's not really working for either of them. Uh, the latest WrestleMania goes Hollywood vignette was Rhea Ripley in a padded room or something hearing John Cena's voice in her head while staring at a can of flare soda that she squashed with her mind before blood dripped from her nose. Apparently, this is from Stranger Things, so it's a reference I don't get, and it's not a film, but it fits because, you know, it still is Hollywood. And apparently, from people online, this was a good recreation of it. So, based on everyone else, I'm going to give this a good because it was the second best of any of these to the Joker so far.
2: I uh, also haven't seen Stranger Things and didn't know what it was, so that's that's I'm in the same boat as you, but I'll also note, this is where John Cena says in this thing main event of wrestlemania so right another point don't forget they
0: call the women's royal rumble match winners wrestlemania match a main event match even if it's not the last thing
2: on the card right they do but we're now a couple weeks out and they're still saying it so well we'll see
0: they i think they i'm pretty sure they did the same thing last year and it didn't main event i'm almost positive they did but whatever Uh, on that note, let's book the damn territory for WrestleMania 39. Let's look at what's confirmed to be determined. And now suddenly in doubt, the confirmed matches undisputed WWE universal championship, Roman Reigns against Cody Rhodes, SmackDown women's championship, Charlotte flair, Rhea Ripley, raw women's championship, Bianca Belair, Asuka; United States championship, Austin theory against John Cena. We have Seth Rollins against Logan Paul, Becky Lynch, Lita and Trish Stratus against damage control edge against Finn Balor inside hell in a cell, possible Demon versus Brood. We will see. And Brock Lesnar against Omas. Those are the confirmed matches. Those still to be determined. The Undisputed Tag Team Championship. We're thinking the Usos against Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. The Intercontinental Championship. Gunther. I still believe it's going to be a triple threat. Drew McIntyre and or Sheamus. And then something involving Rey Mysterio and Dominic, possibly partnering with Santos Escobar and Damian Priest or going one-on-one. And then the one match that has changed categories that is now in doubt Bobby Lashley against Bray Wyatt. And that leaves missing in action on this card. The New Day, the Street Profits, Ellie Knight, Braun Strowman, Ricochet, Liv Morgan, Ronda Rousey, and Shayna Baszler. Chris, looking at all of that, uh, is there anything that you want to say?
2: No, pretty much the same as last week. The the only people you see that are not involved that you feel like should be in some way are New Day, maybe the Profits, and maybe live, but that's a bit. I don't. I, well, of course, and well, LA Knight. But we're thinking he's going to get something.
0: I just, na- I just named them all. I just named everyone.
2: Right. I guess. I guess you're right about Ronda. It would be weird. <laughs> I mean, to it's Ronda Rousey, Rousey like. on WrestleMania. So um, yeah. Yeah. I guess you're right. We'll see. I don't know. Um, But that that gives us with with the ones we know we're getting. That gives us, I think, twelve matches. I see that's nine, a, on so on as Wikipedia. of right
0: now. um From the confirmed matches and those to be determined. We have 11. If we count Bobby Lashley and Bray Wyatt, that's at 12. Okay. So and I think
2: we need to be. Oh, by yeah. Time oh, we get okay. To WrestleMania, yep. You're right.
0: By the time we get to WrestleMania, I think we need to be at 14 total segments, something yes. like that. Yes. And I wouldn't be surprised if we end up just looking at this with a women's tag team championship number one contenders match like Rousey and Baszler, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez. You can create a couple more teams. I wouldn't be shocked if that gets added to the show. You add that, you add something for LA Night, and you're at 14.
2: Yeah, that's possible too. Although I guess just a number one contender and not a title match on night two or something like that.
0: Yeah, you know, because the champions are involved in a six-woman match, and then you do the championship match at Backlash in Puerto Rico. Yeah, could be. So they could do something like that. All right. That is booking the damn territory going over the WrestleMania 39 car. Chris, that brings us to our final segment of today's show. The last word.
1: For it, like fresh cut
0: now today's question comes from Jackson, who is a massive WWE fan. He sent in his question. Via email, gettingoverpod at gmail.com. He says, massive fan of the show. I told you he was a massive fan. Massive fan of the show. Uh, I've been listening since you guys started and always look forward to every weekly episode. My question to you is, what is your favorite WWE theme? Now, I think there's two ways to answer this question, Chris. What I think is the best theme and which is my favorite. The best theme in WWE history is Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's a perfect fit for the character. The iconic glass shatter gives you that, oh shit, emotional response. It's catchy. It's hard. It's just perfect in every way. So that is the best theme. But Jackson asked my favorite theme. And I narrow that down to three, um, actually four. Uh, The Game for Triple H, Voices for Randy Orton, No Chance in Hell for Vince McMahon. I have a fun fact about that. And Sexy Boy for Shawn Michaels. Shawn's is probably the best from the standpoint that he sings it. Vince's is probably the best because it fits his character the most. But my favorite out of all of them, it legitimately is the game for Triple H. I love the lyrics. I love the way they made it work with the lights and his entrance. There's something about the game um, that really spoke to me. So that is my favorite WWE
2: theme. I didn't I love music. I I talk about on the show all the time about themes and how certain things work like it is what it's what always separated when I was growing up. WWF from WCW was the presentation, the Titan Tron, the music, it all went together. WWE's always been excellent at that production aspect. A a theme tells you everything you need to know about a wrestler. Like some of them are are iconic. And um, my number one is the game for Triple H. It actually is the the exact same one for you. Yes, I have it on my phone. I listen to it all the time. Uh, I, it just, it gets me pumped up whenever I'm excited about something. I'll, I'll turn that thing on. If I'm working out, I'll turn that thing on. It's just, it, it works in every sense. And when I went to WrestleMania 34, so my first wrestle, uh, my first WWE show, i actually didn't go to until, I want to say 2013 or something like that, you know, went to a raw in Grand Rapids. It was the Mark Henry salmon jacket episode and Triple H was supposed to wrestle, I think Curtis Axel on that show. I was like, oh man, I'm going to get to see a Triple H uh, match entrance in person. That's something I've always wanted to see. And Vince pulls Triple H out of that match because he's because he's uh, hurt or something like that, just in, in storyline. I was so disappointed. And so when WrestleMania 34 comes around in New Orleans, the first one I go to, we get Triple H and Steffi against Kurt Angle and Ronda Rousey, and we get the Triple H entrance. And I, I was just like, this is like a bucket list item to see a Triple H game entrance cool. in person was awesome. Kurt, Kurt Angle's team also, Top five for me. Uh, I, I know it's kind of a generic. They used to use it for the Patriot, but mm-hmm. I love that one as well. No just looks. the trumpets blaring and all that stuff. And then the other one that's consistently in the top three, probably my most listened to song period over the last year is Roman Reigns current theme. Uh, it's I really just good. absolutely love yeah. saying it is, it is a top 10 all time theme. I think uh, it fits him. It gets me excited. It feels like it's a big deal. It feels like the final boss is coming at the end of a Marvel movie or something like that. Like. Everything mm-hmm. about it is great. So my number one is the game from Triple H, but Roman Reigns is is coming up there.
0: I legitimately did not expect you to say. Triple I didn't H. expect
2: you to say it.
0: That is so funny. That is that is extremely. And now we know why we're so similar in our opinions because we obviously have the same yeah. taste, other than the fact that you are a huge fan of a movie franchise that I have absolutely no interest in watching whatsoever. I did mention uh, that I had a fun fact about Vince's theme. So it was created for him. Yes. But it was actually first used for the Royal Rumble 1999, which was tagged Mm -hmm. no chance in hell because the gimmick was that McMahon promised there was no chance in hell. Austin would win the Rumble match. And then after the pay-per-view, Vince used it as his theme. I think they used variations of it for like the corporate ministry and some of the other stuff, of course. Shane, Shane
2: Shane used it as well at one point.
0: At one point he used it. I just thought it was really cool they introduced a theme as something for a pay-per-view and then, you know, cycled it off and gave it to an individual performer. In this case, Mr. McMahon, the other thing I want yeah, to know. Uh, ahead.
2: Yo, Yep. Well, I was just saying also, um, Austin did not win that Royal rumble. also, with, with triple H though, does he have the, I think he has the greatest set of themes of any wrestler. Like my time is great. King of yeah. Kings is okay. Um, so just, he's got a, he's got a several entrance themes that all work. So I think he has to, he it just as a wrestler, the collection of themes, I think he's number one too.
0: He's one of few wrestlers who has a collection of themes. Mm-hmm. You have to remember, like most people don't, and you can even throw DX in there. He has DX, you know, and yep. Shawn Michaels has DX and sexy boy, both of which are great. Um, but there's a lot of wrestlers who just didn't really have that. And like, even the rock, he had just so many different variations of the same kind of theme and some were better, some were worse, you know, but you're right. Triple H has probably the most consistent, you know, who else is really good. Um, Chris Jericho in his career has a great set of themes and Judas right now, what he's doing, it's really just the icing on top of what was already, you know, break the walls down in WWE and some of the other stuff that he's had before. Um, Jericho has a really good set of
2: themes as well. He has said he wanted to change, break the walls down. And Vince was like, no, we're not like, that's your, th- that's It was your great. Th- and I mean, I, I yeah, considered and the Vince was right. I did. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and he was right. Let me tell you something. Vince was right about that. That theme was way too good to mm-hmm. change. Uh, now yeah. you'll notice Chris, that all of my favorite themes and many of yours as well have lyrics, lyrics that fit the performer can make an even mediocre instrumental good. Other than Austin though, I think my favorite theme without lyrics, I was going to say what I'm about to say. The Roman Reigns current theme, the succession type of theme, it may actually have supplanted this, but it was at least uh, Finn Balor, catch your breath, his NXT theme that he brought over Mm -hmm. to the main roster. I love listening to that. Um, But there is something that just hits different when a theme has lyrics. It tells you more about it should tell you more about the person. It makes you more invested in them because you learn the words you sing along with them. And there's a reason Mm -hmm. why. Something like the game, No Chance in Hell, Sexy Boy. These, they just hit in such a different way. And for me, it's because of lyrics. And I wish that more in this day, WWE themes had lyrics.
2: Yeah, I I have a whole list of, I have a whole wrestling playlist of entrances that I'll pull up from time to time just when I'm kind of getting into something. Another one that really like, this is random, but the original Big Show theme, loved it. When they slowed it down and gave them the other one, I hated (laughs) it. But the original Big Show one, is is really good. Also uh Undertaker, Biker Taker, Roland by Limp Biscuit. That well, did I not I think that disqualifies
0: it, it cuz it's a real song.
2: Yeah, I mean some of these are though. I'm just saying I DQ if it's a real it's song. Like cult DQ, of pers- like cult of personality. I DQ
0: that also. It's like it's a great that's, that's a great true. entrance, but it's a great song like it's it was on the Billboard charts. You know, it's not it's not a wrestling mm-hmm. entrance theme. I I, d- I differentiate between those.
2: That's fair. I do think AEW has some good ones. MJF has no lyrics, but that is a very good one Yes, uh, as well. Good. So yeah, love me. Love talking about music. You could do a whole episode on this one day.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, look, uh, it was the last word today and maybe we can bring it back if someone asks the question in a different way going forward, including one of the questions that can be asked is what popular song used as an entrance theme is your favorite? That's another way that we can discuss this in the future. But Chris, we had a loaded episode here of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast with 18 days remaining until WrestleMania Thirty-nine, And we are going to have a huge set of shows coming that week. Ultimate previews, instant analysis. I'll hopefully try to do an interview show as well. Probably something like six episodes in a week. It's going to be absolutely wild. WrestleMania 39 week coming soon to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. But today, on the way out of this episode, allow me to remind you that Getting Over is all about Define. so head on over to apple podcast and spotify drop those five-star ratings on apple leave a five-star written review if you do we will read it live right here on the show don't forget to follow us on twitter at getting overcast for episode drops news analysis highlights and so much more again all of it on twitter at getting and don't forget to email us if you have any questions for the last word or you just don't have twitter and you want to communicate with the show getting over at gmail.com thanks once again to Trish Stratus for joining us here on getting over for the first time thanks of course to Chris Venini joining me to break down WWE this past week we still have an AEW and NXT show coming up on Thursday and we will be back one week from now same bat time same bat channel 11 days out from Wrestlemania with your next WWE edition of getting over I appreciate all of you listening to today's episode on that note it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.